All right, we're back with another episode. We've made it up to 16 now. Can you believe it? And guess who's back? 16. I'm back, baby. Oh, yeah. So we're going to start out with uh, something that's just Uh-oh. been in the news. I linked it actually just above yours there about the uh, Johns Hopkins study that came out of one of their econ majors. And oh, that boy. would be that uh, the death rate is oh, yeah. largely the same. Now, this, uh, of course, so doesn't account for sequoia or anything like that. There's problems with this, um, with a lot of the conclusions that are being drawn from this study. Um, it, that need context. But yeah, go for it, man. Uh, you're infinitely more qualified than I am. I mean, well, I'm even I'm not fully qualified here on this, but like just within my, uh, well, we'll say within my opinion, so I can dodge any real culpability here. But basically, uh, the the we sh- we would expect if everybody was just staying home and being safe about things, we would expect that the incidence of many communicable infectious diseases would go down over the board. Um, period. We would expect that a lot of um, a lot of preventable deaths outside the home would go down. Period across the board. Uh, a lot of the the uh, age-related uh, morbidity and mortality we would expect to um, cons- uh, be consistent. Uh, we would also expect that uh, a lot of the externally derived age-related uh, or age age correlated, I should say now, a lot of the externally derived age correlated uh, morbidity and mortality would decrease due to a lack of uh, interaction with other people. So. Um, vectors for infection, like say family visiting, would be diminished. Sure. That said, we never had a national lockdown in this country. Period. We had states where lockdowns exist. If we're averaging across the entire country, we should, you know, just immediately be honest about this uh, the situation here. There was no lockdown across the country. There were places where it was done differently. Um, so some states had more stringent measures in place than others, and for different different amounts of time. Um, but again, this is presenting data averaged across the country. So if you want to consider it across the country, there was no national lockdown. There were a series of measures in different localities, um, and people did mobilize to avoid or to associate with these different measures, not to a great extent, but some did. And you only need some to, say, escape, you know, in quotes, that are infected to cause a new outbreak in a new location. So that should be also be kind of considered in the, uh, the processing of this information. So it's kind of a mixed bag here. If we did nothing, we would expect deaths to just go up. Um, and deaths by itself is not a great measure of how bad a pandemic might be. There's, it's not the only shitty outcome. Well, yeah, it is like by I far the shittiest. issues. You know, it, it, and those yeah. are myriad. It's by far the shittiest outcome, and it's sad that it's not the most prevalent of the shitty outcomes, uh, and to a small degree of total outcomes, regardless. So, you know, as few people dying as possible, and as few other complications as possible is what we want. And unfortunately, deaths are not the uh, the greatest of the shitty outcomes in terms of the numbers. So, a lot of other problems. Yeah, we don't so, even really just... know the full numbers on that. Although I am hearing, and I don't have a source on this, but yeah. I've seen some 
information on about 20% of infected individuals going on to have some sort of knock-on well, issue? About 25, 20 to 25% of people who get infected uh, of the last numbers that I know. So this is probably a couple months dated here for info. About 20 to 25% of people that are infected go on to be hospitalized. Um, and and about you could about twenty percent you're gonna see definitely the knock on issues. So the the um, uh, long term sequelae are gonna be a problem here. So th things like uh, diminished lung capacity that could be a years long thing or a lifelong thing. Uh, if you have pulmonary um, what the hell is the word for it? Basically, if you have lung scarring, there's a pulmonary fibrosis. Mm -hmm. If you have pulmonary fibrosis, that's basically a terminal issue. Whatever you, if you scarred your lungs, you're not going to grow new lung tissue to replace the scarred tissue. So you're saying um, we need that, that tissue is gone. So if you have just lung damage, so repairable damage, if scarring has not occurred, uh, you might remember the, uh, the the idea that you get like a, a new set of certain organs after a certain amount of time due to turnover. You know, just cells dying and and, and dividing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, body so everything. for your lungs, it's about every seven years. So you would expect that within about, say, seven years, you would probably be fully healed. I mean, obviously, it'd probably be shorter than that because healing mechanisms are at play here. But you would expect that by seven years, if there's if there was some non-permanent damage, it should be gone. Um, after SARS, we saw that with some patients, the long-term sequelae involved significantly diminished lung capacity. And a lot of that's due to scarring. So pulmonary fibrosis, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so one thing also if it, to mention there, for someone who like gets a, a chest X-ray or chest CT, if they have an infection, when they look for that, that classical ground glass appearance in the lungs, that does not indicate like lung tissue that's dead or scarred or any of that stuff. It just in, indicates severe inflammation. So like that's not all tissue that's going away. If you, so if, this, if, if you happen to be somehow in the, in the unfortunate situation of both being a listener of this podcast and having COVID, uh, that the white that you're seeing on the, on the monitor is not all like permanent lung damage. It's just, you know, inflammation. Yeah, that's anyway. what you're dealing with today and tomorrow and probably yeah. for the next And probably for bit, a couple but... months. But, you know, that yeah. doesn't, uh, that's not, you know, the, it's just, that's today. And unfortunately, we don't really yeah. know enough to say precisely what tomorrow is going to hold. It's yeah. kind of scary. So but now the, the good thing is the odds are in your favor, generally speaking. You know, we, we've, a lot of times when you're talking about the epidemiology things, you focus on the negatives. Um, the positive thing is that a lot of people do recover and recover completely. No, that, so far, beyond that too. I mean, we're at a point now where we are 3D printing organs, and you can yeah. put your DNA into them. Now, the uh, so that the technology is probably about another decade off. Um, yeah, yeah, we're we're not even at clinical trials there, but it is happening. It is there. Well, so some some clinical trials for some organs are being done. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So actually, when I when I got into under when I got into undergrad when I got into grad school, uh, 2012. Um, some people were doing stuff like uh, like bone graft um, scaffolding. Oh yeah, that's actually uh, been a thing. In uh, I know they've used some of those in yeah. Uh, so skull. They've done three D printed. They've done three D printed uh, plastic plate. plates. Yeah, they've done plastic plates, but they've also done um, uh, homologous uh, seated um, bone 
bone grafts. So like you, they've done printed scaffolding and collagen gel, and and they've grown them up and everything. And, and actually, the last, um, let's see, what was it? It wasn't an Antec conference. It was another conference. I, so I was at a conference uh, where someone uh, from from uh, I think it was School of Mines in Boulder was uh, was attending, talking about the the because um, you know I do rheology, so we were talking about the ways that the the matrix material affects the um, uh, the rheotaxis, so the the react reactive motion to stress fields of different cells inside of a matrix of material, and what kind of things you know required for the cells to move around, be healthy and happy, etc. This person was given uh, one of the opening talks to the uh, the uh, convention, so it wasn't too detailed, but it was we were involved in all kinds of stupid shit like that. Well, I, I say stupid, but you know, it was, it was really fascinating. Like. Oh sure. So that that's that was probably one of the more interesting talks I saw. Actually, it was like just the intro. Anyway, um, so any about this paper here. So all this kind of context has to come in here, where we have these expectations for things to go up and down. We have some expectations given the language that's used for for what we might expect to see, but then if we look at what actually happened, we might not expect we might not actually expect to see some of these conditions here. Uh, like where things would go significantly up or significantly down. We have kind of a mixed bag. Um, a lot of people stay at home. A lot of people are hurting right now because of that financially um, or just physically and mentally. Uh, you know, well, you have, to have the money to buy. You need money to buy food. Uh, people need to be able to talk to people in order. A lot of people say the vast majority of people need to have social interaction to feel mentally okay. And just having, you know, having this shit in the news blared at you every day is going to take a toll, too. You know, just turn off CNN is my recommendation. Oh, absolutely. You never turn CNN and, back on either. And, and fucking Fox News, too. If you listen to both CNN and Fox, you'd think that we're all going to die from a virus and the government's coming to get you. And you should also do what they say. Uh, period. Yeah, Which yeah pretty much. Stupid. So, so just, you know, go outside. If, uh, if you're living away from people, go outside, take a big breath. Big breath of fresh air. If you're living in the city or something, you know, wait till a time where people are not on the street and, uh, you know, go outside and just kind of hang out for a minute. Just give yourself a break. Anyway, so the, the study, um, we don't see significant changes, but the, there's, so there's, there's the way that it's presented in that, that front picture. We'll just start off with that. That's by percentages. And that's, that's great for making the point that they're trying to make here, um, in this article, which is that things, don't appear to have changed very much. So there's all these different factors that are involved. And if you don't control for them specifically, then you're not going to be able to make specific statements about what's changed. Uh, and they don't do that. Um, so there's there's that issue. Now, obviously, that means there's follow-up work that should be done to go ahead and delve into the data a little bit more. Well, and just to break in here for a second, this was done by an yeah. econ major. It's just It was done by a numbers person. Yeah. It wasn't done by a science person. Well, it's kind of like I wouldn't expect Bjorn Lomborg to be able to tell me many of the details about the physical science of climate change, but I would expect him to be able to tell me about the economic impact. No, that so just, went over my head. I, I, fully, I take it that well, it was very uh, relevant. Yes, it was. Excellent. So, uh, Bjorn was a, a guy who did an economic analysis on the impact of climate change and the the, uh, the 100 years expectations for the impact of different things. Basically, should we allocate our money towards fixing climate change or say something else that we could do very easily, like, say, eliminate malaria? Oh, fair point. The same way we eliminated smallpox, which, by the way, is a relevant point for later on here uh, if we talk about vaccination. 
we got rid of smallpox as a species. We eliminated it. It's gone. It's, there's like five samples left in one lab in the U.S. that we know of. Like, that's basically it. Smallpox is not a disease that we, we bother with anymore because we got rid of it via uh, mitigation measures, I mean, uh, attempts at vaccination, et cetera. Right. It's because of people. Well, it's because of holdouts, well, actually, that we aren't free of uh, polio. Same with same with measles, mumps, rubella, etc. So we're capable of getting rid of things once they've been established for centuries. We are also, and this is where I have this optimism that others seem to just kind of decide. I guess they have to just decide that it's not possible because it really is. We can still cover this. We can still control this thing, and we can still eliminate it. And we don't have to eliminate civil liberties to do it. Oh, not at all. I mean, look at how Japan handled it. You know, they um, they did all the smart things on a personal level, but the government basically right. stayed out of it. Yeah. So Which is, that, honestly, that's your best plan. Just let the well, scientists do what of... they're going to do and have a little bit of faith in people. So what, they sh- what scientists should be doing right now, and you know, let me rephrase that, what, what um, researchers giving policy recommendations should be doing right now is ignoring the government role at the personal level and instead making personalized recommendations, meaning for the individual, not for government controlling individuals, such that the government policy response can reinforce those behaviors. So things like washing your hands, everyone learns how to do that growing up. That is a reinforced individual behavior. You don't break the law by not washing your hands. So you don't break the law looking both ways crossing the street, or not not looking both ways crossing the street. It's just in your in your uh, benefit to do that. So making these kinds of suggestions clear that they are of a personal benefit is a big. Uh, is a big step forward towards getting people to actually follow through on these common sense behaviors. Yeah, basically what we need to get back to is that the uh, the old adage you'd hear in uh, PSAs of the life you save may be your own. Because people are greedy. Yeah, and if you can and let then, them know that what they're doing... I mean, yeah, okay, sure, some guy down the street won't get sick. Whatever, I don't care about that. No, right. you will get him sick, and then he's going to get you back sick again. And then you're sick. You happy right. now? It's just uh, so. This is actually where the the whole idea of everyone needs to wear a mask. Like that's the same kind of thing here. Um, Real mask. Well, here's the thing: if everyone's wearing an ASTM level one mask or a cloth mask or a silk mask, these are masks that will not protect you, the wearer, from other people. It's the other direction. And even still, the protection from there isn't tremendous, but it is something. Well, it's much better than nothing. It's it's quite significant, but it's it's not a hundred percent sure. You know, if you breathe, if you exhale forcefully such that the seal breaks the sides of your face, then yes, you're going to have jets out the back. But let's just assume for a moment that we're not going to go into those details just yet. The point is that it is a it is a network effect. You have to have everybody doing it or, or a threshold of everyone doing it for you to be able to eliminate transmission or to eliminate transmission to a certain degree. When you wear, a say, a level 2 or level 3 mask or you wear an N95 or just a, a half mask or full face respirator, these are all things that are designed to protect the wearer from the environment. And in doing so, you are automatically protecting everyone else from you, depending on the design. So for a standard um, 
full face respirator or a half mask respirator, you're going to have an exhale valve. That's going to be like wearing a valve than 95. It doesn't really protect others from you. Oh, it doesn't do it. But it's also possible to put, it's also possible to put a filter on that exhale valve. Mm -hmm. So, um, if we just go back to talking about procedure masks, so what everyone calls, you know, quote, surgical masks here, the level three mask is the only one that's actually worn in the operating theater. So that's this actual surgical mask. The other ones are just procedure masks. Um, so a level one mask protects others from you. A level two mask is what you wear into a quarantine room inside a hospital. So if you are going to bring someone into, say, a room where someone has an actual case of measles, say either they're immunocompromised and can't get a vaccine or they're one of the anti-vax retards uh, for children, then you're going to be wearing a gown and a level two mask. So um, the R not on that is, uh, uh, so the basic reproduction number is like 18. It's gigantic. Like being inside the same, if you're unvaccinated and you've entered the same, you know, normal size room as someone who's infected, you have a 90% chance just by being, being in there in the air of getting infected with measles. So it's quite contagious. Um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus does not seem to be quite that contagious, but you know it's still like un un uh, unmitigated. It's on the order of like six or seven for basic reproduction number, which is still quite high. Well, it's it's so, in the uh, vicinity of common cold, is it not? Yeah, it's it's very easily transmitted. Well, it's uh, so imagine like a particularly bad year of the flu, where it's really really virulent. It's kind of like that mm -hmm. as far as its transmissibility. I might even say a little more. Sure. So uh, a bad year for the cold and flu, you're probably talking about an R-naught. Of, again, remember, unmitigated, meaning no measures have been taken to stop the spread. Um, you're talking about like four or five. So it, it's it, within the ballpark of, you know, the error bars would overlap, that kind of thing. So they're, they agree in that sense, but I'd say COVID's a bit higher. Um, now, after we implemented mitigation measures, the R0 dropped down to like one which is the difference between an epidemic and an endemic. So that's the, the limit for reproducibility. That's when it's uh, stable in the population is one. We got it down to like 1.2, you know, and you can see it actually fluctuate in the daily cases where it's going, where it's going up. You have a, uh, a value above one where it's going down on average across the country. It, it's a value less than one. So, um, the value of two is basically uh, binary exponential growth. Yeah, every person like is that. going to infect one it's other person, others. and or no, that's an R one. R two is you're going to hold infect on two a second, people, isn't it? I think somebody's outside my door. Uh oh. <laughs> yep, one sec. Yeah, no problem. As a matter of fact, I'll take a moment to actually go over some of the information in this article. Uh, what it's stating here is largely that the death numbers haven't changed overall which is valid but it kind of fails to take into account some of the secondary issues like we've got hmm, how would i say we've got uh, right. you know, car wrecks and things like that are down uh, that was just an offer of food oh, excellent so so here's another thing um and i this is just from my ignorance and not reading into the study here because I, I figured you're back to it. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I'm just kind of going over it, basically, trying to tell people that this, you know, there's just more say, to it than not just the it. raw numbers. If, you know, without without reading too much into death here, if we're talking about total deaths, yeah, that includes those things. If, you know, if there's a breakdown by, say, infectious disease or any of that other stuff, you know, there's, there's so much nuance to this in terms of it's such a broad category 
Well, one of the things that makes this that very interesting, I'll actually just read see. it directly to you. Yeah. When uh, Brain looked at the 2020 data during the seasonal period, COVID-19 related mm -hmm. deaths exceeded heart disease deaths, which obviously is... Sure. Yeah, that's that doesn't make sense. That's a thing that's going well, to be here's, pretty here's the thing. Here's the thing. So here, here's, uh, here's the deal with the deaths. If you're talking about the primary cause of death, that is going to be listed as a specific thing, one item. Talking about the cause of death in general, um, that's going to be listed as either one or more items. Uh, so, for instance, if you had COVID and you had a heart attack due to clotting issues, heart failure and COVID might be listed as causes of death. Oh, I can guarantee it will be because it is undeniable right. that the so, uh, the hospitals get but, more money for COVID deaths. But like if you've well, got to put somebody in a ventilator, they have to be uh, what is it reimbursed? And so well, yeah. here's here's the thing though. Well, so that's probably not going to be nearly as significant as you might imagine it would be in terms of the overall budget. In the no, I'm not necessarily saying that it is. That's I'm like just saying, saying that it is a very real yeah. concern. It is a real concern. It is a real thing, and that that absolutely does happen. My you point know, here is that so that's like saying or... that um. That's like a person who's concerned about vaccines, which, by the way, you're well within your rights to be concerned, and that's not a bad thing. But if you're talking about, say, childhood vaccines, which are given once, maybe maybe three times max. So, like, say, um, um, a hepatitis B schedule is going to be like what three or four shots, and that's it. Three, I think. But yeah. those are not those are not big money makers for the pharmaceutical industry. The pill you take every day is. So, if you go and you say, "Well, look at all the money they're making," and you start talking about vaccines. While you might be right to be concerned, you are probably misinformed as to the economic impact that's compelling the distribution. Yeah, it's to be honest, in their favor, it's in their it's in their interest to have you grow up healthy and get some other disease. Oh yeah, no, it's, just, yeah, it's better that you grow up healthy, get a job with insurance, and then get something that never goes away that they don't want to cure that they'd rather treat for forever. Sure, and and even that's ascribing too much malice to what is very simply a, a bit of opportunism in disguise. So, you know, it's it's not it's not that they're we've got to go over that something that just came out regarding mm -hmm. uh, OxyContin. Oh, that was just hilarious. Yeah, that was McKinsey that was and Company, the uh, prestigious prestigious so consulting that firm. That is where you have having, a valid concern. Yeah, they proposed having Purdue Pharma offer rebates to pharmacy companies when they got OxyContin from, overdoses from... to boost their sales. I mean, how well the how idea was that they would. Get. The idea is that they would they would give pharmaceutical they would give pharmacies rebates to prevent them from specifically going to alternative medications and recommending alternative medications to a doctor. Like that 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 is the so it's it's not that they like telling them hey if you sell more we'll give you a rebate for the dead people it's we'll give you the rebates and then they're crossing their fingers that they're not going to go oh wait there's a problem with this drug. But if you'd like, I will go ahead and put the article in here if you want to go over for it. Sure. I'm going to leave it in the show links for anybody that wants to read over that because yeah, it is an that... absolutely grimy, grimy deal. So this is the kind of thing that that um, that needs to be looked at. And this is the re one of the reasons why I get frustrated with people who go after pharma the pharmaceutical industry, just blanket and then pick out whatever evidence they can to satisfy their preconceived notions or their, their own prejudices. Basically, everything That's, in the world we, is more it, complicated than anyone really wants to give it credit for. Sure, and and the and more importantly here, the kind of problems we saw coming out from Purdue with this oxycotton fiasco. Um, these kind of issues get muddied 
because of the the baggage that comes in with a discussion when you say, oh, well, the pharmaceutical industry needs to be held to account. This is the kind of significant issue that needs to be fixed. And if you're sitting there talking about, say, I don't know, vaccine autism, which is conclusively, conclusively proven to not be a thing, and then you start saying, follow the money, this is the kind of shit that gets overlooked when you're trying to have a proper discussion on the matter and someone comes in and just blasts through it and not the people who are val have valid concerns who are just may not, may not understand what's going on with things, you know, who either have uh, ignorance and are begging for information or who have uh, a matter of grief where it's blinded them and they need to, you know, have a chance to calm down and talk over the facts. But the people who are the evangelists who come in like that fucking bitch, um, the play ex playboy model, you know, who said that her son got cure cured of autism, which is not a thing that happens. Um, no. So if people like that come we'll in and steamroll conversations that. to make them to grift and get themselves enriched off of other people's grief. Those are horrible people. People who are coming in from either a position of ignorance or frustration and just trying to get to the bottom of things, they should be pers they should be addressed. And this Purdue thing with Oxycontin is one of the ways in which these th these conversations have to be had clearly and directly. So they absolutely fucked up big. Like they, they masked information, they lied about it, they tried to get pharmacies to sell more by, you know, under the table bribing them. Now, um, on that note, actually, yeah. I don't, have we talked about Suramin and autism? Which? Suramin. Uh, don't think so. Okay. Well, uh, this is something that I would really want to bring, like, uh, an anti-vaxxer or an autism activist on for but uh suramin is it's an old old drug it's yeah. um it can treat autism literally i mean it can so, make an autistic person normal so here's the thing i would say to this if it does do anything similar to that it would probably be in the same way that you can give adderall to someone who has ADD, and it would make them more normal uh, it's it's a i don't see a way mechanism. of i don't see a way of so it's it's a it's not just a chemical imbalance in their brain for, for autism. Now, high-functioning autism, maybe you could make an argument that there's something more to it, uh, where if it's more, it's more that if there's a, a chemical issue that's involved, it's more of that than just structural. Well, I'll but for severe autism, San Diego. for any, anything like severe autism, it is, a, it is distinctly a structural and organization, so brain organization-based issue. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't see like I don't see a chemical I don't see a chemical impetus to a restructuring of the brain itself that well, would be able to. I couldn't tell you any of the means or methods like that. of how it works. I just some years ago read about it. Yeah. It looks like it's actually going into some kind of trials at this point, which well, is good. excellent. Uh, it, uh, what was it? It was on a um, <clears throat> a scale of autism, uh, like a six point scale that it would reduce someone by two points. So you would take someone from oh, basically okay. like a. Um, Someone so, who would fall into the category of like uh, yeah. Asperger's, you would be able to make them essentially normal with functional. Well, I'm assuming there's going to be some, some other side effects that are at play here. I mean, so, I'm so, curious um, to see how it plays out, and it's not something we've discussed. I thought we might have in the past. Right. I'll put a link in here to that UCSD study so that people can look yeah. into it because it's it is really interesting, and it's something be, that kind of deserves its own this. topic. So the the 
just but, to, yeah, to be brief I mean, on it was just a worthwhile thing to bring up. We've got a lot yeah. more to discuss, but I... Before we get back to Hopkins here, just as a brief aside on this one, just to be clear at the start here, if you're talking about the, the spectrum for autism, at its, at its kind of simplest, you have um, basically the uh, a problem processing input in a, a, a meaningful way uh, without significant problems, basically. You have, uh, like, you know... Um, so for ADD, it's imagine hearing everybody in the stadium at the same time at a football game. That's that would be terrible. For autism, imagine having ten more stadiums. Uh, this is about where the similarity between the two different disorders ends. But uh, but that's kind of like the scale of problem a person with with autism is going to be encountering. Yeah, and you have to remember uh, that neither one of us is really an expert in this field, so. Yeah. Right. Take all of. So I, I, I can only claim expertise on ADD, and that's because I got it. You Same. know, I, I, you know, if you, by the way, best advice I can give to someone with they're dealing with a long-term or like you know lifelong issue, become the become as much of an expert, as much of a, a lay expert in that area as possible, to be able to better advocate for yourself. Absolutely, and that is I will admit I have exactly that same issue. So I was on Ritalin for years, and then I just quit and. It took a long time, but I learned to deal. And it's one yeah. of those things you have to uh, you have to make a decision because you know you are what you are. You're wired the way you're wired, so you have to yeah. decide: Am I going to learn to function in this way, or am I going to rely on, you know, drugs to try? And so, help me? in that sense, if sermon can relieve symptoms sufficiently, such that a person with with a uh, with more severe autism can learn coping mechanisms that might be lasting and say lasting beyond a chemical uh, remedy, yeah, whatever that... temporary respite this might offer might like, offer yeah yeah hopefully it's a permanent thing where you can just take sermon you know once a day or once a week or whatever uh however however often you need to and maybe hopefully it's a permanent thing and you can just stick yeah. with it for your for the rest of your life if you need to you know obviously it's well, not great to be on something like that but then again you talk about putting something in your body well, well, you put analysis. food in your body every yeah. day you're you're a a hopeless you're a hopeless glucose addict so we uh, are machines and we run on things and right. maybe some machines require some special treatment. But yeah, uh, real quickly, while we're still on the topic, I'll actually give the, uh, the story that I heard about this so sure. that people can have some kind of uh, frame of reference. So the story that I heard and learned about Suramen as an autism treatment was uh, there was a child uh, deeply, deeply autistic, basically to the point of being um, not even animalistic. You know, at the, the highest levels of autism, you're basically a barely functional machine. You don't even really follow people or recognize them. It's just things come and go. Your 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 brain functional and your brain function is very. Oh, well, imagine putting Niagara Falls through a straw. Yeah, um, that's yeah, basically there's, there's too much there, and and yeah. you you cannot function in any sort of persony kind of way there's you you could only live as an animal you need caretakers is what happens yeah so we have a person here they don't recognize their uh, young child they don't recognize their parents they don't follow like a, a child tracks if uh, no one's familiar with the term that would mean like uh they see people and they their eyes follow them because it's like oh that's a thing that's a person i, I why the doctor puts their finger in front of a baby's face and moves it side to side but they're precise, waiting for them precise, to look at the yeah. finger so we have a person that is, or child, I should say, that is completely unresponsive to this. So essentially far gone, a lost cause. They, uh, this was in just a completely randomized trial because it's a hundred-year-old drug. 
and it's you know com completely safe in here. So generally recognized as safe as the technical, the technical thing I said. So if you ever see that phrase, generally recognized as safe, that is the FDA statement. So if it's generally recognized as safe, obviously it's probably for a hundred years. It's probably uh, for especially if it was easily included into a trial. But uh, what happened here in this uh, trial? It was an injection. It provided. Uh, it took the child down by two levels. What happened? Uh, to be very specific, the child after getting the injection, uh, the injection. I want to say it was within thirty minutes. The child began tracking their adults and also oh, cool. began verbalizing. Really, which is that's enormous. I, now, now, to a to regular person that, that doesn't really understand this, that's that's huge. That you so, you have so... taken a cat or a dog, and all of a sudden, they're not barking at you. They're trying to form words. So, so here's the thing. I should emphasize there, trying. Mm -hmm. So you said verbalizing, and that has a specific meaning and context here. He didn't start speaking Shakespeare. No. Uh, he probably started trying to sound out words, mm -hmm. because if you've spent your life to date not speaking English or, or any language, if you haven't been actually speaking and conversing, your motor cortex, let alone, you know, dealing with uh, uh, was it Wernicke's and uh, Broca, those it, areas of your brain plainly, all need to you be lack trained. Many of the thing. necessary tools to even begin the process. You don't have the tools to make the tools. But but that means but, but that means starting. you you can train your brain to do you know you can def your brain is plastic in the sense it's very easy to learn new things and they could definitely learn how to speak. But if you can't even process that you want to speak because of the sensory overload you're getting, then then that would be fundamental. That's a fundamental change in the uh, in the behavior. That's notably that's kind of this crazy. is transient. It it does go when it's out of your system. It's out of your system. Okay. But you know, if this is, it was if working you could when put, it was uh, you know, if you could make a uh, slow release sermon, then yeah, you know, there's you probably lot, do that. There's a lot here. But so anyway, here's I, another you know, thought. That we just really got off on a uh, sidetrack on that, but yeah. What yeah, well, here, so just to, to wrap that up there, it's just to, you know, I don't want to say crush the hope here, but it's kind of what it ends up being, unfortunate in effect. So depression has a wide range of modes by which it operates. There's, you can either have, you know, lack, you can be lacking in certain things or, or have an excess of certain things, et cetera, et cetera. And they're talking about this being a metabolic issue. Um, it's possible that lumped into the autism spectrum disorder category are several different modes of pathology. So different, several different ways things can go uh, go wrong that cause the actual presentation of symptoms. And this might be only be one of those many different ways that things go wrong. Indeed. And, 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 it, it and bears, solving any of them is great. It's, it bears so more thing. Absolutely. You know, if they got any, like even if it, you know, one, this is one of those things where if you get a single case study, it should immediately drive you know, at least like because of something this large, especially with the the way that the breadth of the uh, spectrum has been defined uh, in the last couple of decades, the last few decades. Uh, you know, so the, the the reason everybody said that it exploded in terms of prevalence, no, the rise in incidence didn't change. So we just expanded the definition and found more people, obviously. Well, that being said, so the, the given the way that it's so prevalent, is actually up. So I'm given the fact that this is such moderately, but not as much as the change in definition. Uh, well, that's a fair point, but out. I mean, again, 
things are nuanced, and it is worthwhile to let people yeah. know that there there is some smoke. Is a, there. It's not a constant rate. It has been going up a little bit, yes. So um, this it's just having a case study on something this present in society. You know, we're talking about what about one out of every hundred people now, right? Eighty. Um, it's important, and even if it only treats a, a thousandth, you know, one out of every thousand people with the ASD, this is worth spending a decade of research on. You know, this is one of those, especially you know, for something that's been generally recognized as safe, it's been around for hundred years. This is the this is the low hanging fruit that pharma has basically run out of at this point. They should be all over this. Oh yeah, well, you know, I mean, just imagine the cross section of society that you could turn from, you know, dependent to useful. So, so this is actually a place where I can talk about something something silly like, uh, say, trichloroacetate as a treatment for cancer. Just the drug itself is not necessarily what you look for in a patent if you're talking about pharmaceuticals. If the drug itself, the uh, the um, so uh, what's it, the active pharmaceutical ingredient, the API, you know, so programmers beware, we have another acronym in common here. Um, so the, the active pharmaceutical ingredient doesn't even need to be under patent because those only last five years. What pharmaceutical companies do typically is to um, to basically rearrange the ingredients a little bit in a drug, and they'll be able to do a new patent. So if you change the colors on a pill, you get a new patent. Oh, by the so way, let me the just API interject right there with a worthwhile piece of knowledge. That is also how many illicit drugs skirt the line of the law. A lot of research chemicals do exactly the same things. Like, oh, we've made this chemical legal. Oh, well, we changed one molecule. Okay, well, that one's yeah. not illegal. So then we'll make a new um, one. So what they've done, point of note what there. they actually have, they, there's, there's actually a there's actually a way to get around that in the law if you're a oh, prosecutor yeah, looking to try and get somebody. Yeah. There is the 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 chemical drugs analog or the, the was it something or other analogs act. So there's actually a specific law in the books that covers basically anything that looks from like a weed. drug we don't like. So if they say anything that looks like a drug we don't like that also does things we don't like is now also illegal, which unfortunately means a lot of things that nobody's even bothered to know whether or not it's illegal. Like so, you, there's a lot of things that you can't know if it's illegal until until they tell you it is. Uh, Unfortunately, that kind of un undoes the whole ignorance of the law is no excuse thing. But that's for a court to figure out sometime in the far future when someone has the balls and the money to take care of it. Indeed. You know, which should probably tell you right off the bat here that if you do something as stupid as put an unknown chemical in your body with no known side of, with no known actual effects, um, you know, you should be more concerned about that than the laws in the first place, because you you have some self-reflecting to do. You know, so don't do that. Well, yeah, it. Uh, you, yeah, you don't, don't know what you, you don't know until you know. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like pulling down pulling down cereal, uh, where the only thing you know about it is the fact that it has sugar, and there's a possibility it could have razor blades in it, but you don't know until you put it in your mouth without looking at the bowl. Well, that said, you in the it's case of research chemicals, you have a general idea of how it should work. But I mean, you know, we look at PCAL and TCAL, and you know, that's where we get okay. some of the information we have. But that's a okay. Those are very good reads. They are. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I need to go back to my my um. Where did I say so? I I was mentioned this on water. Someone had posted a graphic, and I saw it. Scroll my ass down. I, uh, I said a lot of dumb shit today, didn't I? 
<laughs> no worries. Blah, blah, blah. That's 28th. But, uh, yeah, no, PCAL and TCAL are very interesting reads on uh, psychoactives yeah. and research chemicals for all the ones not in the know. They're done by uh, legitimate people that really know their shit. And they basically well, they're just they're, a bunch of they're uh, excellent, um, wild stuff that they on. had an idea how it should function, uh, made legitimately scientific reports on their findings, and uh, tripped their fucking balls off. What was most interesting is they're they're basically fantastic. Like they sh you should almost consider them as as organic synthesis textbooks as far as the way they went around oh. the different mechanisms for synthesis, etc. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are scientific texts. Never minding the material. Speaking okay. of material, I've got another great article for us next. But did you have something else you were wanting to add to this one? I was trying to find one. Regarding the Johns Hopkins article, there's a. Um, it is hard to find. I had to look I like a son of a bitch to find anything. I was only able to find one like right wing news source that had anything on it. Well, I responded to something and I can't. It's somewhere on my Twitter feed. I have to, to scroll up now to find it. I've, I, I think it was from today. Yeah, Google has really done uh, their their best to scrub any information about that article. I mean, they they do not like it being out there, even. Even with the nuance and with the understanding, they'd rather it not. Oh, so somebody responded. Somebody was. Um, oh, maybe it was a different one, a different study. But someone had uh, pointed out that. So, oh, yeah, it was a different study. So it was the other study I was talking about was about Wuhan. They uh, there was a follow up investigation. Uh, like you know, so you know they did the whole citywide test thing, and they found three hundred asymptomatics. Uh, post lockdown. I can't say I'm familiar. Well, so they, they did a citywide testing schedule that's, you know, nine plus million people. Uh, so everybody, I think, above age six got tested. And um, and someone, and so the, so the testing they did was via anybody. And uh, so, is this it, a PCR it was, test? It was, so they did both PCR and antibody okay. uh, for, the, um, for the people who tested positive on antibody that were not recovered so previously known to have recovered from an infection. Um, so people who had, like, say, IG, IgG present but had no uh, no history of infection uh, with uh, with civil services or whatever. IgG being the antibodies to fight COVID. Right. So they found that 67% of the people who tested positive by serology also tested positive by RT-PCR. So that means that 60, so there are 67% of these people who were, who were newly discovered to have been infected. Um, and to clarify, so that's people that were not aware. Yeah. And to further clarify, we don't know the proportions of these unaware individuals in any population so, that might have these sequelae. So the the um, the idea there was that, so the findings were that basically from serology they confirmed sixty seven percent of uh, um, of these RT PCR positives. Uh, now keep in mind when they do when they so when they do this and also more importantly uh, no viable viruses were found meaning that um, so these these 67 of these are yeah, that I, is I, to I, say I, these I'm people sorry. their immune system is functioning well and was um, so able to point fight being off the no viable virus was found at that point so rtpcr picked up serology confirmed um, but no viable virus was present, meaning they weren't shedding. So when they stated 
in the document, no viable virus. What they were saying was they weren't shedding, not that they were never infected. And someone said, basically, you know, they took the quote out and they said, you know, here, no, no virus. Ha. Huh? It's like, like this person was supposedly like a health expert or whatever. And I think I had to ask them, like, how the hell do you not know the difference between I, uh, uh, anybody test and PCR test? It's so they're people are pushing. You know, obviously, it's there are people who are making thing look way worse than it is. Oh, you know, it's undeniable. It's a bad pandemic. Absolutely, it's a bad undeniable. pandemic. But but it is not irrecoverable. We are we are a hundred years ahead of where we were in nineteen eighteen. All right, and, and we're, we're dealing with to, something to, that isn't as deadly. Legitimately. Well, it's this. Well, we're this not talking about sequelae. We're not talking about knock on effects. Just right. We're talking about just deaths. pure mortality. It just is. This one's pretty Good. bad. But that being said, yeah, I mean, it's it is a real issue. So, if we want to talk like just flu, um, this one is a, an order or two of magnitude worse than the flu, Certainly. in terms of possibility for deaths. Yeah. If you want to talk about sequelae, it is way worse. No, we but don't even talk know about, the numbers on that one. But we can say about, with certainty that they are horrifyingly higher than any other flu that has ever existed in our sure. known history. So if we're just talking about raw deaths here. Yeah, uh, pure mortality, eh, not good, but it not is worse. horrifyingly worse. Not like the Spanish flu. But well, no, it is, it's, it is worse than the Spanish flu, man. <laughs> So well, I the, mean, in roll numbers, uh, in roll mortality raw numbers here, five million across the world was basically after a couple of years, right? Oh Jesus, that's right. That thing did take forever to run through. So I guess, given the same time frame, this probably would produce. In the same numbers. time frame, we're way past that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even consider that. that now, is, that's now a really I'm not saying point. that it couldn't peter out right now and just be done, but like in terms of right, you know, to date. It is worse by yeah, a lot. Yeah. That is a valid point. I guess I am uh, kind of generalizing there. So it's it's not a it's not a bad point to bring up. Yeah, but no, you're right there. Yeah, here it was. This person said, "Yeah, this this is fucking dumb." Hold on, let me just go ahead and drop this tweet in. You can have fun looking at it. Oh sure. This guy said, "You know, there you are, no virus." The quote from the article. This is a Nature article. This is why I got sorry. I confused myself here publications that are taking political positions these days. As they do. Uh, virus cultures were negative for all asymptomatic positive and repositive cases, indicating no viable virus and positive cases detected in this study. That was the quote from the article. This person, who's apparently a MS, uh, Master of Science and a PhD, uh, said, said uh, there you are, no virus. Idiot. Because I mean, a, like, yeah, a later that quote... statement is technically correct, but then you make yeah, yourself sound by sure. a, like an idiot by... Well, here's PhD? the statement that does. Oh, come on. In what? Statement that Journalism? Makes them, here's, I've, well, let me just go ahead. Health science? Oh, come on. Health science. Yeah. Oh. This is what pissed me off. So this person, I quoted them, and I, I gave them a quote from the article underneath my critique. I said, or they, the article said, serological antibody testing in the current study found that at least 63%, so, sorry, 63, not 67, 63% of the asymptomatic positive cases were actually infected with the virus. So there was no viable virus shedding, but they were actually infected. Yeah, it's which it's this person a, decided to skip over completely. Uh, yeah, it's, is this all tied to the John Hopkins study? 
So kind of, kind of tangentially. Hi, Steve. Because I last, what's up? Sorry, guys. I uh, was was doing Welcome. homework. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't okay. It was never okay. There was no part of that whole experience that was okay. Uh, work. Well, welcome to dessert. Now that you're done with your, now you've eaten your peas. Welcome. Oh my god, my god, man. Let me tell you. I think that anybody who writes a guide to a program that sits there and says section two point one, how to code block two of the code program, right. and then says section two point two, how to cloak code block one of the code program, they should just be shot. Like if you cannot sit there and go through a linear path, you're just a horrible human being, and you're just trying to make it hard for people. So you're saying you hate Quentin Tarantino? That's horrible. Oh man. Look, at least a movie like that finally brings the freaking separate uh, lines together. Whereas if you're reading a manual, like he's just. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's up to you. I guess they don't the like start two different paragraphs and end on the same sentence, right? Uh, they, you know, and then it dives into it's it's all this like reference codes and everything else. It's it was you're just I, I actually got a headache. I've never I've never gotten a headache before. And I actually got a headache. Wow. Taxing even for you. Yeah, that is it's it's not taxing. It's just retarded. Like there's a limit to the yeah. amount of retard that I can ingest in one sitting and it exceeded that in 30 minutes. I've never had that happen. Uh-huh. Perhaps we need to get you some sermon. Yeah. Yeah, I saw uh, that John Hopkins study. I thought that was interesting. And I think we've we've talked a little bit about it that that like the real measure as to what the actual impact of the virus is is going to be uh excess deaths. So that was that had uh, um a particular meeting at the time we were, we were uh, having that discussion. And that was in regards to, the, you know, having, having basically a lot of, it's so what I was telling uh, Evan earlier is, you know, we have this kind of mixed bag here where we don't have a national lockdown. We had very different localities with their own lockdowns and we're looking at national numbers. So it's well, a there's a mixed bag here as far as the, the impact of the incidence of other you know, externalized fa- uh, deaths, say car crashes and shit. Um, you know, or or hospitalizations for things that are uh, that you would be you know doing retarded in a, a skate park, for example, um, doing a backflip and landing on your neck, that kind of shit. All these different all these different factors here that are at play. This is just looking at this aggregate statistic, which is not as descriptive as would be useful to us. Well, it, and that's that's true, but at the it same was time, prevalent of... earlier when we didn't have the lockdowns at all to look at the excess deaths. It, it, it see i i don't know about that no, right i think it. i think at the end of the day we got to wait until the we're we're far enough in where the yeah. statistical anomalies one way or the other is going to kind of wait itself out well, you see this um, says from week one here so to week 32 like, this is still over the entire time period yep more or less but i i uh you know i i i actually this is kind of where where we've always debated where where sure. i'm always coming in saying i don't think the risk is particularly high based on right. the data that I've seen, you've pulled out data that says, hey, I think this is high. And, you know, really what we've settled on is our metric is excess deaths. And that John Hopkins study basically sure. turned around and said there really isn't a lot of excess deaths. Now, there's a lot of reasons that could be in that. the you No, know, it's not what it's saying here. It's saying that the I'd... ratio of deaths has not changed over time this year. Now, that being said, I actually did argue uh, a similar point from yours as well, there, uh, Steve, because... You know, it is noteworthy. Now, that being said, there is a balance to be struck there because there is. there is a lower number of people engaging in these things that would 
put them in danger. But that well, being said, I, heart disease has, you know, shifted over to a bit to corona. And we know that there is money to be made in reporting corona deaths. Right. Sure. And there's I think the, the problem that you have when you start talking about the number of people who died statistic, which is what the New York Times likes to do because they get their political points with it. Well, they, they also well, like big to numbers check, are you know, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the uh, how they keep her addicted left, you know, the 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 problem with that statistic is that there is no formal way to properly document it. So you could have and, and they ran this. They ran the article where they they had, oh, we hit the hundred thousand deaths. And one of the one of the deaths was a motorcycle accident. Right. Sure. And um, there was hilarious. actually I mean, it's yeah. hilarious. There was uh, there was somebody who I got to protect their entire Twitter account because uh, because somebody asked, you know, why is it that my dad tested, you know, tested negative three times with covid and they still declared him as a covid death. And I said, my, you know, my response was one, they make money in doing so. And two, there's no actual standard to do so. Two, somebody came out. Anecdotal, this is two. This is one anecdotal uh, point yeah. of evidence. That's the other sure. thing. Sure, it is. But uh, there's, there's definitely some miscategorization in both directions going on here. That needs to be needs to have that shit squared away. Oh, yeah. uh, but I think the uh, the funny part was a nurse came back and said, "Oh, don't listen to these keyboard warriors," and posted this article about how it comes out. And the, the article openly says that there's no actual requirement for a positive test in order to declare it a, a COVID. Well, you can do it. You can do it by what's called you can do it by what's called clinical presentation. If you have all the symptoms, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, is basically what it comes down to. But the only and problem with that is like the common duck. cold looks so, just like COVID sure, because here's what it happens, is. Here's what's supposed to happen during autopsy. They run serology on the listed causes of death if they're infectious diseases, and you confirm a case. If that, they don't that's run serology they... on, on the listed uh, modes of death, then they are not doing what they're supposed to do. Well, that's true, but there's no requirement that they do that, and so they don't. And that's been kind of the the pet peeve of the folks sure. who are sitting there in my camp who are saying, hey, you know, I think this well, is as being far as epidemiology goes, For epidemiology, they're going to go back and do, you know, obviously, unless you're in a place like, say, China, where you have to incinerate people first because reasons. Um, for, for the U.S. at least, they either keep samples sufficient to do serology or they perform serology then and there or they await serology uh, in the morgue. You don't just throw out something if the if the CDC wants to have a sample of it. They're going to get a sample of it. Yes and no. Yes and no. Right. Like at the end of the day, there's you know, you're you're still talking about a huge amount of chain of custody problems. And I mean, we we, especially when we start talking about DNA or any sort of like our PCR tests or anything else that we do. uh, This is and this is not just a covid-19 problem. This is like a rape kit problem. We have a backlog of testing that needs to be done going back you know decades and years so by the time you're probably right that there might be a time where they do run all these samples we've done it for SARS for example and obviously this is a much much yes. much much smaller pool of people several orders of magnitude different here there, like, you did that little smidgen smidgen of a problem there there's what three thousand cases in the US say, total? We're, talking about, we're talking about a couple hundred to a couple thousand here for, right you know, that they're going to versus, versus millions. So, so let's just go so, ahead and get that, that, that little bag out the door right now. But but the, uh, the the point that I'm trying to make is that when we start talking about uh, serology testing and a lot of these other things, we're not going to get to them in any reasonable time because they're part of the backlog. And once well, the instance, once the case right now, is declared, the case has been declared. They can and they are. And 
let me just give you the reason why. If I, as a, as Joe Blow, can go into the clinic and ask for a test, and obviously there's budget concerns that come in here, which we're not going to get to just yet, but if I can go in and ask for a test, and a week later I can get a result, then a dead person can get a result. Yes, they the can, but now, the, CDC the importance, has other issues. The importance of the test for the dead guy and the importance of the test of the person who needs to, right. you know, do it for quarantine or whatever purposes, yeah. like they, they have two different priorities, different. right? Yeah. So so by the time you're done, but yes, again, done, some of them are, some of them are, but I don't think that we're going to have a complete well, no, data set on no. all that stuff. Now they are because we have finally gotten to the point where it is a personnel limitation as of about six months ago instead of a materials limitation. So for about six months, we've had the ability to incorporate the backlog into the rotation. Now, and if you're in a hospital setting, they have in-house serology, so that's all taken care of and it's first come, first serve, depending on triage. If you're outside and you're doing it through something, a company like Quest Diagnostics, like I do, then it's gonna be first come, first serve on a non-triage basis. It's based on whether or not you're under quarantine or not, like, is it, are you being, is it that kind of demand? It's very yep. much different than say in-house serology where it's definitely on triage. But again, you know, when we're, when we are starting to talk about this, I am, yeah. I am very skeptical until the actual results come in. Uh, my, my guess is they haven't gotten through the whole backlog, but they've certainly been doing it for cases since about the middle of the summer. And yeah, we're I'm, I'm sure report. I'm sure they are. But again, we're talking about millions of serology yeah. testing. I just I don't see and at the end of the day that the hospital gets the upfront, the, the upfront money issue here, too. You know, there's money right. in COVID. And yeah, that being said, there's a lot of money. Ever money really is not directing a proper accounting. So money is not directing the clinical presentation diagnosis. And more importantly, since around the middle of the summer, the serology is driving diagnostic um, diagnostic criteria here. It's it's not do you look you know are you just look do you look sick? It's definitely being driven now by serology. So before before May, say uh, February, March, April, and then part of May, you could make the argument that if you're in a hospital, which is where testing is prioritized. You could say that there's material shortage and RT-PCR is not necessarily as conclusive as, say, IgM, IgG, all right? So antibody testing wasn't really ramped up yet. RT-PCR was still kind of overloaded because it takes about, you know, either three machines or three days to get a positive or negative result uh, by statistics that's that's reliable. Um, so and that's, in that scenario, you're talking about having a backlog. You have a definite backlog, and it's because of time and material shortages, not because of personnel shortages. After I, I that mean, time period, you're talking about having enough materials, but not enough people to run things, and not. Enough I time would, I would love, I would love to to take your word on it. I have not. What I have well, seen I is I have. Shouldn't. You shouldn't I take the word on this. You just wait for a report to come out of them. That's that's kind of the thing, uh, though, right? Is what I've right consistently back. seen is I've consistently well, seen uh, people making these claims that uh, you know they. They're not actually doing the test or uh, exceedingly high false positive, false negative rates. And then you get the John Hopkins study, which really looks like an excess death study to me. Uh, and that's showing that there's no particular significant difference. 
And all of that leads into the, you know, how much of a problem is it really uh, in comparison? Uh, you know, I suspect it's worse than normal, but it seems to really just go after the people that were going to die anyways. So, well, I'm going to have to strike a balance between the two of you and say that it looks like it's a little bit more troublesome than you say, but also on Craig's behalf, I think it's not quite as dangerous as you put it out to be. And it, I mean, that's that's kind of the problem. I think that uh, what, what Craig, I know that he's not here, so I'm not, I don't want to speak for him too much. Most likely, uh, as as you've seen in our pre and post show chit chats, uh, we generally end up agreeing on most of the details surrounding all of this stuff. It's just where our perception of risk is usually balances out here. And I think at the end of the day, this is going to be one of those things where we don't have hard data. And where we don't have hard data, it's basically a presumption based on the series of assumptions that both of us okay, are putting I'm into back. our model worldview. Well, I was speaking for you, Craig. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I claimed, I, I claimed your Craig points. So your no, point. no, actually, so, so, so I'm sitting there and saying that it's, you know, uh, not a super big deal, and you're saying that it's a, a super big deal, and uh, Evan's well, somewhere know, in the in between, and we're all, uh, we're all, we're all where we normally are. Yeah, yeah. nobody's but an I, asshole. And the thing about and it actually, is, we're, we're, none of us are saying that this isn't real, which is the right. important no, thing to remember, because it, so, so it most certainly is. It's super just, big deal has to be in context here. So the obviously, as more people become infected over time, the day-to-day -day risk of just going outside has changed if you're in a more populous area. So that is by itself is a thing, but again, you have to contextualize risks like this Yep, and we spend so much time talking about the risk uh, in its absolute sense, without talking about the relative sense of things. You know, the, what's your risk of getting hit by a car crossing a road without looking both ways? And and this is also as, kind as of up not a, even a talking about risk mitigation, which is a thing as well. And, yeah. Well, and that's that's usually so. You know, we'll you should have always... some proportion here. You know? What we've always what we've always beat around the bush with is that that we have we stand on opposite sides on the mask debate. Actually, we really don't stand on that far of opposite sides. Realistically, I think I think we could agree that masks don't work, and our debate is over whether respirators do or not. So, so the the problem that we really run into most often with this is the the broad use of a a nebulous category masks. Yes. Like, if you're talking Absolutely. about ASTM level one procedure masks, yeah, they don't protect you. Period. If you're talking about cotton or silk masks, they don't protect you. Period. But, but and, they don't and I will, I will, I will throw ASTM this out one, here. As a matter of fact, right? Nobody is sitting there and rigidly defining it. And so, if the term yeah. is "do masks work," the answer is no. Masks do not work. Well, so, if we want to have a debate on the, the utility of respirators, then we can is, have a, a debate on the utility of respirators. But that's not what we're talking about. Well, actually, we didn't specifically know this because of course I do. Because you know for a fact, you fucker, that ASTM level two and level three do protect you from other people. Well, again, though, you can bitch at me about how much in relative amounts versus absolutely, and I was. I'm right. Well, I, I mean, again, you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, by the time by the time you put in all of the caveats. So so first off, let's let's just start with masks is too broad of a category Absolutely. To, to, to say that it works. And really and, and what the data shows consistently is what I was talking about back in April, which is and masks. Actually, let me stop you used for a in and general ends up creating more problems than it solves. Well, let me stop you. So that's that's well, usually. Hey, let me stop you for a second. All right. Okay. Let me contextualize this for people that are not like into the minutia of this debate. 
what a mask means in the popular media is anything from an outlaw's bandana to a full-on, you know, silicon-sealed face shield with, you know, uh, actual certified filters. HEPA filters, N95, all that shit. And so to understand, like, that's not a really good way of defining this. It's like saying, oh, that... The well, guys on the Formula that's not One just track, the media. That's they drive the cars. Terms, well, yes, right? they, they do that's drive the cars, but those terms, are race yeah. cars. And not only are they race cars, they're the highest tier of race car. That's so simple. so when Cuomo, you say like an ASTM level one mask, that is a real mask. It does do something, and it is not the same as just putting a bandana or a neck gaiter on. These are vastly different things. But so, I really feel so, the so, need to kind of make that clear to people if they so so fundamentally what the debate comes in is is when people were saying that we should have a mask mandate my argument was no it's fucking stupid and that was based on the contemporary uh, understanding of the term masks absolutely just putting something in front of your face does nothing and worse it has a tendency to make it worse in the long term you generally have higher infection rates there's two ways that it does this one is the obvious false sense of security but two Two is the really the one that pisses me off the most about these fucking cotton masks. Once they're concentrators. Get, once you get well, once you get any once you get any saturation up front, they become shear tubes to micronize the droplets. Yes. All you're doing which is was, making a finer spray of droplets that hang around longer. Which was all fundamentally part of my original statement that this is a stupid. A stupid yeah. idea and a stupid. And word. I agreed with you because uh, cloth yeah. masks were dumb at the time; they're dumb now. They are. Uh, so where we end up having a debate is on the use of essentially respirators. Well, anything right? that's left is... to protect you is, I think, where we have an issue. Uh, no, no. It's really, it's really whether or not like you're, you start by the time for for me where we end up debating is. I while I agree that those masks that uh, that the ASTM level twos, the KN95s, uh, elastomeric face pieces were really, if you're really concerned, you should be wearing an elastomeric face piece. Let's be honest. PAPRs are the bomb. Everybody should own one. I think that should be a like just a rule for society. But um, where we end up having a debate is uh, realistically, there are so many constraints to make a face piece work for you. That by the time you talk about the, the the restricted class of face pieces that do anything and the restricted requirements in order to get them to do something, and then you start trying to put that in general in the populace, you're better off just not doing anything and keeping people at six feet. And that's really where my, my perspective comes in. While I agree with Craig in most cases that we could create a scenario where masks do do something if we use the right masks and people were fitted to them and all of these other things. We don't do that. There's no intention of doing that. Nobody has proposed doing that. And so at the end of the day, we have basically this useless piece of cloth that is just nothing but a minor irritants and may actually increase your risk of infection rather than having any significant impact on epidemiological cases. That's a fair well, point. No, let's let's and be that clear being there. Said, too, you have to consider when cars were initially invented, there was no driver's license. So maybe and, there and is that something was, to be that said was fantastic because the driver's license is nothing well, more than also, a tax on the poor. There are also far fewer drivers. You know, only the people who had the money and the expertise to fucking drive were able to do it. Now we have every idiot who can stumble into a DMV. Not when the model the, not when the Model T rolled out. It was inexpensive. I, uh, and, and, and hey, here no we should be license. we should be 
we should be very clear that no cloth masks absolutely do have an impact on the epidemiology because they make it fucking worse. Well, but and again, that's that analogy works. That that is fundamentally where it, where it always comes down is because we're not differentiating it enough. They, they, you're better off going without it and saying everybody stand at six feet and just beat the shit out of somebody who comes in coughing and sneezing. Well, there you, you know, go. there you like, go. That's I, I like. Yeah, it. That was one of those things. I was actually just talking to my parents like the other day. Those fucking stories coming out of New York where like you can't really tell quite if it's like you know the the dormitory poop swastika <laughs> kind of thing where they're making it up or if it was real because people are that dumb. Where people were beating up Chinese people and telling them to keep that COVID shit away from me. Oh, like, I'm 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 sure that the, falls into the. Uh, there is one video want. that can be vouched for, but I don't know if any of the other stories are legit. Well, I I, I, I am sure I am sure time. it's just like every single person who sits there and finds a swastika on the back of their garage. Yeah. And then the police show up and start to investigate. No, oh, yeah, this wasn't really it. a hate crime, but I wanted to symbolize with everybody, and you're like, right. yeah. But you I also believe go. it because people are that fucking dumb where they go, get away from me, you know, while they're punching you and bringing you closer. You I, know, I mean, the whole come here thing where you push someone away. I, you know, I think I think at the end of the day, it would have been better for Fauci to just stay on the don't use the masks, maintain six feet social distance and let those of us who let those who are really concerned put on whatever the hell they want. And at least so some of them would do way. some research. That one I worked in one way in particular, and this is the one that I found to be most infuriating about the whole mask mandate thing or the stay at home orders. The way it would have worked best is that it would have kept the people who fucking went out anyway, with or without masks, who huddled together and screamed for hours on end or burned uh. down cities. It might have at least kept them socially distanced. Now, if I'm not mistaken, didn't the uh, didn't the virologists of the uh... Chaz zone, didn't they determine that the smoke of a minority building that has been burned, uh, does that not confer immunity to the COVID virus? I was trying I, to understand that the scientists of the Chad zone. It turns out that they, they also, the virus also responds to verbal cues. Uh, like, I, uh, I think, oh, I wow. think that, uh, yeah, yeah, or, or that all they have to do is sit there and chant properly. So I, I think, I think that, that, that what we should just commonly advise everybody to do is that if you're afraid of COVID, grab the nearest rock and smash a window, because apparently that is what keeps COVID away. Indeed. Raise your fist and resist the COVID. Here's the thing. If you're in San Francisco, and I saw this earlier today on Twitter, they're going to pay artists fucking $1,000 basic income to paint over the boarded up, to to paint boarded up shops. So my response, oh my, my response to this, my response to this Open is to no sue them and get your fucking tax dollars back. I yeah no I'm sue them for sue them for fucking vandalizing your property and get your fucking money back just on well, principle. This is this is like, fundamentally why why I oh, tend California to be opposed to all of these like mass societal changes is <laughs> we're 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 doing more harm than good whether it's mass. You think? whether it's lockdowns, we are sitting there and setting ourselves up for failure because not only are we not actually like almost doing like it to the level to or scale that actually has a positive impact. On top of that, we have this huge negative impact and we are not addressing, we're not finding, you know, well, if no, we are New York. People are addressing it. They're just dismissing it outright and then blaming them for the problem. Yeah. Well, 
I, I guess you know, so, if you're right, if you're well. Androlf Cuomo, then you're sitting there saying, "If ah, uh, come on now, Androlf Androlf Cuomo's found found the real cause of COVID." And I was gonna say, Jews. besides saying the Jews, <laughs> it's, it's, it's besides the Jews. besides the Jews, pointing at his the Jews, Jews are going, causing COVID. <laughs> besides pointing at the at the, the nearest Shmuel and Emmanuel and saying it's definitely them. And and let's let's be clear, it's not oh, all the God. Jews. It's just the Jews that look different from normal people. That's the one that Cuomo goes after. He's got yeah, he a. Crosses the fucking, well, he crosses the wire suspended in the backyard just to hand out the turkey mask. And <laughs> take in front of the you know, right. actually, this is a really, I... really good segue into something we should probably discuss. Oh, it's it's not a good discussion. segue in any way. No, I am it's, required it's to have papers to go see my family. There is no good part oh, about this me. segue. Oh, no, there's not. But, I mean, this is actually something we should talk yeah. about real quickly. Yeah. The U.S. Supreme uh, Court siding yeah. with religious yeah, groups in a dispute God. over oh, coronavirus restrictions in New York, limiting attendance at religious stop. services due what, to the. What I want to know, what I want to uh, know is, Evan, is who Evan. are the four judges uh, who decided? What? Hold on, Evan. Go up to the top, right-click the tab, select mute site. Oh no, it's supposed to do that automatically. I've got it set up in Opera so that it never autoplays anything, but. I, I have CNN. a solution. That will mute the website. I have a solution. How about you don't open CNN and they just don't save it to an archive site? My solution too, but apparently we're all different people. <laughs> I guess so. Well, you know, the yeah, thing is, if I can use world. disreputable sites that all the normies really love, it just works easier. I, I, I mean, I understand, but then you sit there and like, I, we talked about this a little bit after the show last, uh, a couple weeks ago, because I think, uh, uh, you know, Evan or Craig Craig wasn't here. It's, okay. This is this is the example of the child putting his hand on the stove. And you say, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't put your hand on that stove. And he puts the hand on the stove and he and starts crying. You're like, I'm I trying. feel no sympathy for I'm you. Not I'm teaching a lesson when I was everyone. You have now learned I did that, too. that CNN is entirely untrustworthy. So See? the best part was my dad told me. He looked directly at me. As I walked, and he didn't stop me as I went up to the stove. And I touched the damn burner. <laughs> I burnt the shit out of myself. Yeah, my I, I went from being a normie to being a scientist. Yeah, that was that was kind of how I discovered something me. new. Scientific it was uh, uh, it was the uh, cigarette lighter back when cars actually had cigarette lighters. So I asked him what I asked my dad what it was. Yep. He said it's a cigarette lighter. So I pushed it and it popped out. And I said, so how does it light a cigarette just sitting there? He goes, no, the other side's hot. So I pulled it out and it's glowing red. And he's like, don't Dude, touch that. And colors. I'm like. <laughs> And I cried, and he said, "Well, I told you not to touch it." <laughs> I mean, uh, that's that's exactly what happened with me. And like with the, because I told you not to do it, and then he got a cup of ice, and I, that that whole afternoon is vivid in my memory for that one moment. It it really is because because you know what you you truly appreciate that one individual got to say, "I told you so," and you realize how satisfying it must be for the adult to tell the child, "I told you so." And how you want to experience that every day, and that's why you become an engineer. That wasn't the specific conclusion I got from that event, but you know, I could definitely see how that would be very satisfying. Because because the best part about being an engineer is saying "I told you so" every day. No, that's the there worst part because I'm always fucking right. Well, anyway, anyway, you know, we were talking about a SCOTUS ruling. So, what's happened in a five-four ruling, <clears throat> and uh, John uh, Roberts being Roberts. He, uh, well, I mean, went the way he did. But what this has done, it's basically uh, the long and short. It's assured religious liberties during uh, even a time of lockdown, and it sets a good precedent for that. It's uh, it said that uh, synagogues and um, churches, uh, places of worship, can yeah, stay open. Basically, any uh, place. You know, 
cannot be closed by so, the state. And now my yeah, now my restaurant is a fucking temple is what should happen. Here's here's what I don't understand, right? What I don't understand about this ruling, obviously I, I support the ruling, I think is the right way to go, but I don't understand how it was five four. Because the actual First Amendment of the Constitution, and I have it right here, it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And somehow, an answer for that. That somehow, four people said, nah, it doesn't say that. An answer for that that has nothing to do with the ruling. so it's just nothing to do with it. It says Congress shall make no law. An executive yeah, order yeah. is an executive order is not a legisl is not legislatively supported. It is just an executive order. So that does not. So while while it well this must is, abide yeah, this the Constitution, a... while it must abide the Constitution, an executive order is given by the executive branch, which does not fall under. The purview the of the most title technical of technical. This even is, though, but this I is fundamentally the problem, it, right? Even though I would make an amendment that fucking makes that explicitly clear, case law already does, where the executive branch isn't allowed to just flagrantly violate your constitutional rights. Well, so I, think, I think if you go, if you go to do that anyway. If you go to where where uh, we politically, you know, I think I was distanced from most of the mainstream politics, mm-hmm. was Obama took that by the balls and just yeah. ran executive order after executive order after executive yeah, order. He said, now, "I have a pen and a phone," and that was the dumbest fucking thing he could ever say. Yeah, that's exactly. And so all of a sudden, what you ended up happening, and everybody getting upset with Trump, all Trump did was basically reverse what Obama did by executive order. He doing the exact same thing. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying that I support doing things by executive order, but I'm more for undoing things by executive order than I am for legislating by executive order. Yeah. Just because That's, Congress and the Senate didn't give you what you want. It's blatantly unconstitutional. It and is blatantly unconstitutional. Anybody in the country could have claimed standing in court. Yes. Probably gotten to SCOTUS to undo that shit specifically because it covers the whole country. Yep, you could well, make that standing argument, and I'm amazed it wasn't made more often. I well, am, I am absolutely the makeup stunned. Of the court at that time, you wouldn't have been able to make that argument. Well, but that's yeah. the that, thing you might be able to because we have well, people that actually the respect thing. the people Constitution. Are saying, people are saying ACB, uh, her her religious her her uh, religion is what caused the five four split here. I'm I would make the argument right now that uh, Ginsburg would have gone the same direction. I would actually believe that the I think the two uh, what is it Sotomayor so and whoever the other one are more of the problem. She than... was very she's she was a very pro First Amendment person. Yep, yep. Fair, I, point, I, fair I, point there. I, I, I will give you credit in that statement. I mean, I might have my issues with the woman, but she was pretty, in the pretty straightforward on that. I, I she was not she was not entirely she was actually probably closer to like. ACLU level of yeah. uh, abiding by the Constitution, and so she might have like overstepped a couple times in my view. But I actually had respect for Ginsburg because usually she came down on the side of what do you have as an actual right. Um, and what I don't understand is is because I know obviously this is going to be your your three liberal justices plus Thomas, <laughs> right? Is is how Sotomayor can turn around and read the First Amendment and say, yeah, yeah. Now that doesn't really apply here. We have COVID. Give me COVID yeah. or give me, you know, or what, what is the, what is the common meme? Give me liberty or give me death unless there's a pandemic, right? right. Like, come on now. 
at, at the end of the day, we have the right to, to peaceably assemble. And the reason that well, we have the right to peaceably assemble is because uh -huh. in the event that the government wants to shut us down, I don't want them sitting there and declaring a sudden pope, uh, pandemic as as their their reason why they can you actually. Know, that reminds me of that guy who who, uh, who who had the others uh, escort the police off his property. The fun, the best part of that whole entire video was the part where one of them says, "Yeah, this is a black this is a Black Lives Matter protest." Well, that yeah. just sent him running. And right you could there. almost you could almost see the mental double take that was going on <laughs> in the in the health in the health inspector's face. As she's being, you know, escorted out the fucking door. <sighs> oh god, that was that was so fucking funny to me. I mean, it, they should they should have just been told to, to stay the fuck off the property. Uh, you're, like just they told them to come back with a warrant, and they never came back, which basically tells them that uh, yeah, they should have just stayed the fuck away. Well, so, like they did get fined for it, um, like fifteen grand or whatever. I think the guy tore it up on video. Oh, that's great. Unfortunately, yeah, such I'm things sure are not going so well in Canada. There was a guy with a barbecue that's apparently yeah. got a police barricade around it oh. now. Another thing about this ruling, the way people were arguing it in the media was that the Vatican uh, or the Pope had said this, that, and the other. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, he's he's the Pope of one religion, and only a few of the 40,000 sects of that one religion in the first place. Um, yeah, the Pope not is to not mention there's a whole bunch of people that think he's the anti-Pope. Right. So, citing you the know, Pope I... is not going to affect, for instance, Jews or Muslims. Right. Who gives a flying fuck about what the Pope says? Didn't you know the Pope says all? You know, unless he's showing up with another crusade, nobody gives a shit. Just, just think though, right? Eventually, if he continues this way, all of the BLM people will be Catholic, and that'll be fantastic. That and then the Democrats funny, will 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 absolutely appeal to religion again. It's going to be the religion of intersectionality well, and popism. Okay. Hold on a second. That's going to be they're going to be Catholic the same way half of North Africa is Muslim. <laughs> all, right. all right. Let's just be clear on this. They're going to believe they're going to you know quote believe in it to about the same degree because uh, in North Africa, if you didn't know about this, it's about as as Muslim and name only as you can get. Where they basically believe that by prayer they will be saved in the same way Jesus saves you. Um, they'll they'll be saved from going to hell uh, if they go and they slaughter you know the other half of Boko Haram or whatever. So, <laughs> well, like, I mean, it's, if we're being they, fair, they if you slaughter Boko their, Haram, they, you you probably are getting into heaven. They bring in they bring in their um their their uh, shamanistic worldview too. Uh, so they're all the witchcraft shit, all that stuff is is deeply tucked in there. Uh, somehow it's just kind of you know it's it's like how they find a new hadith. For, uh, for whatever thing they want Muhammad to say at some point. I mean, to they be fair, though. The same thing, but they don't even bother with that kind of stricture. It's just kind of, we're, quote, Muslim, so we fall under this brand. Yeah, they run fast and loose. To well, be fair, why, yeah, if, you're, if you want to actually that, start yeah. talking about world religions, most world religions that have had any spread outside of their origin point usually end up doing that. Like, Christianity has yeah. a load of Norse and Greek mythological symbology. Well, yeah, Saturnalia is a great example. It. Saturnalia is a great example, Don't but I mean, like, girl. look at the look at look at uh, look at Odin, yeah. and like go through the myth of Odin, and Jesus yeah. is Odin for all intents and purposes. The only hey, thing that Jesus, Jesus is, is missing Osiris. is his eye getting poked out, right? And and they actually they modify the myths depending on where they're moving into, well, so that it kind of like enough. Odysseus clones. is another good example. Yep. Well, I'm I'm rather fond of Jesus as Osiris. Although he was well. probably actually there. 
Was it Osiris? I think they, so, yeah, it was Osiris. Didn't they actually find like the real tomb of Jesus at one point? That's possible. I, mm. I could have sworn they did. It was like this thing that like appeared and then disappeared. It was probably well, I know that there's a Oh there's the Shroud of Turin and all that. Yeah. That's a well, no, no Shroud of Turin's fake. They proved the yeah. Shroud of Turin's fake. There, like so there was very, a, very fake. There's a place in Bethlehem, I think it was. Like a, there was a church there that they dug down. This this was from yeah. within the last decade or so. It wasn't it wasn't the uh, the tomb of Christ that they found. They found um like a previous temple that was or uh, the temple that was used at the time that had recordings about him. Ah, oh, uh, okay. I think that was I, it. I think I or think they the just more... found, or they just found remnants of like tools and shit. That might have been too. I think what's actually really fun when you start talking about a lot of like like Jesus is uh, what we call Jesus is probably an inaccurate name. His name was probably Joseph. Uh, and what ends up happening is well, if Yusuf. you actually go... Uh, what's that? Yusuf. Yusuf, yeah, well, yeah. Joseph. Joseph in, in modern English well, so, would be so a more Hebrew, direct translation. Hebrew doesn't have a just sound. I know it doesn't have a just well, sound. For the edification of other people <laughs> like, you know, in the area listening or, or listening later... <laughs> So the reason the reason that it's Jesus to us is because uh, the English translation of Jesus is uh, not how the religion originally spread. So it originally spread up through the Mediterranean uh, through land routes, because that makes actually a lot of sense as opposed to, you know, international communication type well, stuff. Well, sea routes existed at the time. Yeah, I they, they did, but you're not going to spread religion amongst Since sailors. Since the fucking Phoenicians. No, they did spread religion amongst sailors. Oh, they barely spread religion amongst sailors. They did spread religion amongst sailors. Now, sailors the, sailors the were, for whatever religion empire, gave them access to temple priestesses. The fact that Rome was an empire, or sorry, about the, that Rome was yeah. the center of the empire is why it spread out so crazily from there. Yeah, sure, it went land routes, probably. But, like, they spread that shit by the sea. But the, uh, the the way we got Jesus is it actually went up through um, from the original – what is it, Syrian? No, not no, – what, what's the original dead language that they used in Passion of the Christ and all that stuff? Latin? No, it's not Latin. Aramaic. It, Aramaic. Uh, might be that one. Yeah, so it went from that to, uh, to, I think, the uh, Turkey – and then it got converted to that language, and then it went from Turkey to Greece. And because it went that route, um, the lack of having a Joseph uh, in in whatever the Turkey thing, they changed it to, I think um, it, it got closer to like Yeshua as it went that way. And then it went to, so it went from like, what is it, Joseph to Yeshua to, uh, uh, they didn't have a Shua in the Greek, and so it went more to Jesus, and so from Jesus it became Jesus, and so realistically, uh, the actual Jesus's name is is more like Josh or Joe. It's rather interesting. I love etymology. Yep, everybody's quiet. Okay, oh, I'm back again. What yeah. happened? Oh, uh, you all there, was, uh, there was a food emergency. Yeah, a what? There's a food emergency. A food emergency. Yeah, I was told there was one hot dog left. Uh oh, that is an emergency. (laughs) Isn't that unclean food? Hey, you know it came with a side of bacon, all right? (laughs) Well, there you go. See, that means it's kosher. Shit, you not. Shit, you not. Got it right here. Very good. Oh, that's that's like double kosher. No, so I um, 
Usually I get boar's head because they're, they're uh, just beef. They're kosher. Mm. Oh, see, there you go. I haven't oh, had a hot dog fuck. in a long time, and I also have zero desire to have a hot dog anytime soon. That's because you don't have trust in your fellow man, good sir. No, I have had no, some No, I think it's because I know what they're made of, and That's I do I mean. trust my fellow man, because it's probably got some fellow man in there. <laughs> this is why you buy boar's heads, so you, <laughs> you know that the fellow man is low. <laughs> I mean, there's you know, there's at least a little bit of finger meat that you get every time you bite into a hot dog. You know, this is Good. actually a I perfect segue into the next article I was wanting to go into. So there's a uh, new um, plastic film wrap that's uh, oh PVC. Okay, yeah. that's not new. Well, this one is. It, it's, it uh, is. It has... inactivates coronavirus. Okay, hold on a moment. I gotta help you with this before we even get into anything special that they add. They did a they did a good study on the kind of surfaces that the stuff will survive on. And one of those surfaces that it will not survive very long on is say a plastic surface exposed to oxygen and light. Right. And and, and you want to know why surface. that is? Because it's pretty much inert. And so there's no little nooks and crannies for it to hide in. Yeah. So it just basically is exposed well, to the elements. All that said, let's go ahead and dive in. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. okay. With all that being factor. said, okay. this has basically got uh <clears throat> Nanox. Yeah, it's a micro silver, I guess you could say. Yeah. It's embedded uh, into it. Nice silver. It, it's the same stuff that they put on those wraps on everybody's door now. I I, I, I am somewhat skeptical of it because so, it actually requires UV light in order for it to sanitize so it the material. It doesn't. It I thought really it doesn't. did. Nope. No, it actually, just needs by nature oxygen. Of its, uh... Oxygen and needs to be room temperature above. So the cool thing is, it's the same exact technology that's inside <laughs> all those sheets that you don't have to wash so often. Mm-hmm. Like hotel sheets, or like so, your, uh, like your. Now the only okay. reason you have to wash the hotel sheets as often as you do is because there are other things from people on them. Oh, yeah. I was gonna oh. say if if I found out my hotel did not wash my I sheets, know. I would be because I, I know what out. I do to those sheets, and I know what other people do to those sheets, so, and I'm at least that's why as they bad still wash them. That's, yes. that's why they still wash yes, them. Absolutely. But like those things that are marketed as sheets, you don't have to wash. You don't have to wash as often. Are uh, basically they have some silver laced into them. Mm-hmm. Now the same, the same with like your anti-odor underwear here. and uh, underclothes too that you'll find. Y- yeah. You know, I, I, again, I, I see these claims all the time, and and while I don't doubt that there is some actual effect, uh, it, I think it's a lot of a lot like those bracelets you buy in the mall. I don't oh, think so, it's particularly strong. Now so that ignores the thorium stuff, like like not not going with the thorium. Yeah, we're not talking about thorium supplements here. Come on now. Or, sorry, not supplements. Excuse me, thorium uh, enemas. So, so we don't have to get so thorium enemas. No, no, no. Hold on, thorium enemas. What's yeah, a thorium that, enema? That, that was a thing. Was it a thing? Once upon a time, yeah. Well, it's probably about the same time you could, you know, brush radium on your teeth because you're getting your record <laughs> record player clean. Correct. No, they. So, so actually, Phonograph, this is something sorry. that Craig posted on his Twitter, and it's oh, probably boy. the most involved I've actually looked at Craig's Twitter. If you, uh, those positive ion bracelets, first off, they're, they're all lies. It's all one, yeah. lies. But uh, some of them actually have thorium powder in there. Uh-huh. And if you go through the, uh, the thorium dioxide, thorium, thorium is a, a very low radioactive element. It doesn't, it doesn't have very high activity. Uh, it has a half-life of like 14 billion years. It's, yeah. it's incredibly stable. It, wonderful stuff for nuclear fuel. Uh, which which I could go into in depth, like indefinitely. But um, so whenever they're sitting there and talking about the positive ion technology, 
somebody broke down uh, and found out that none of it actually exists, and then some well, of it actually worked, has though. thorium dioxide in it. That. Yeah. Um, and wow. and they have so most of it does not have sufficient thorium dioxide to to seriously concern you. I think I actually ended up doing the calculations, and your dose oh, yeah. that you get off of it is like nothing. Um, but, it, you know, it's like beyond that, it's a heavy metal, which you really shouldn't be around. Uh, it, thorium, thorium is actually not that bad for you, right? So, really? so like the real, the real, yeah. The, when when we start talking right. about like radionuclides, and like what do we have to worry about? Well, I mean, different, heavy metal. It, it, it even so, it's it, there's not enough of it, and it's in the plastic, and you're not like right. like I, I don't think that you should start eating these plastic bands, but it being on the surface of your skin's well, not going to have instance, that much effect. For instance, you don't give it to your kid. Someone's uh, on when they're teething. Uh, yes, that would be a bad idea. Keep That's in mind, true. we're talking about the people who would believe in ions coming out of a, a bracelet affecting them. I I like to pretend those people don't exist. I yeah. I yeah. Sadly, I, I just told you that not only do they exist, they at least take care of other people's procreated it, offspring, if it, not procreate themselves. In, in which case, that, if those people do exist, I see it. this as nothing more as something to promote, so that I can emphasize my genes in the overall gene pool well, through natural selection. You end up paying through taxes or other 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 avenues for the liquidity. Yeah, but no. So so the thorium is actually not that bad. Uh, yeah. Like, if you want to talk about like radionuclides that they could put in things that are actually like really scary, thorium's not that bad. It it um, we we you do actually. So if you're, uh, it's in welding rods. That's yeah. that's where you get most Already of your thorium welding rods. Yep, uh, and and that's that's so so you actually you get like 800 millirem a year of internalized dose if you're in a welding shop. Internalized dose. Uh, okay. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it, it's the same thing. Dose is dose is dose. Well, yeah, dose is dose, but like, let's keep in mind as a it's primary beta emitter, right? No, it's a primary alpha emitter. Well, it's even better then. Your skin blocks it definitely. Right. So, so if you're not in a and welding shop, in a welding you get shop, zero dose from thorium energy. all around you. But if you are at a welding shop because you get these fine particulates into the yeah. air, you internalize it. You get like 800 millirem. Now, that's actually that's way below federal limits. It, but it, it well, it is it is like it's below federal limits. It is below federal limits, but it's it's on the high side. So federal limits are about five rem per year. Uh, and that's they're coming down. They so the original the original values were close to twenty five rem per year, uh, and so eight hundred millirem is, is. Are you trying to tell uh, no, me that, that no, there's nine no lifetime out of ten dose. doctors don't recommend Winston cigarettes? There are uh, there there are no lifetime limits right now. There is, there is there is so oh. so I want to to comment on that right. The I think the ICRP I think that's who it is. I have I have to double check. I think I have like a, I have a card here. One second. You there. There is there is a group that is proposing lifetime limits, but there are no federal lifetime limits. Um, well, so and you actually can tell me if this card's a piece of shit too, because this is a this is a rad triage fifty card. Um, blah blah blah, video whatever the hell, fifty and two fifty are yearly and lifetime respectively. For what? Millisieverts. Uh, I'd have to look that up. Um, so sieverts are like I think. A thousand millirem. Yeah, somewhere. Most there. of most of the federal limits are in legacy units, so the uh, the Seabird yeah. is a more a more recent unit. Uh, well, there's, and there's a couple different units. One of them is the the actual like it's like the actual radiation count, and the other one is the actual like biological absorption. Actually, I have the lecture open right now. Oddly enough, 
So I will I will give so you like like gray gray is gonna be far different from say like a rem. Uh, kind of actually, you'd be surprised. So, so most of them have I, they're they're not radically I think, I think different. I, I mean, a gray is, but it's not like radically different. They're like orders of magnitude. It's like a gray is like a thousand rem kind of thing. One 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 of the sets of units is about the dose delivered by a radionuclide, and the other one is about there the are, dose received by a biological sample. There, well, actually, there's there's a bunch of different things. So there is. There is energy received uh, that is energy imparted on the actual thing, and that's typically done originally in ergs, which nobody knows what the fucking erg is. Uh, I don't know what an erg is, and I'm a nuclear engineer. I have zero idea. Don't ask me what an erg is. I will literally go to Wikipedia and tell you because that's how much it matters in my daily context. Um, and then you have uh, you have your rem, uh, and a rad. Well, a rem is a rad. Sort of, so to speak. So a rad is basically a uh, the amount, same kind of thing. It's ergs deposited in air. A rem is a rad, but it's uh, ergs deposited to biological tissue. Then you have uh, other units which are going to be based on um, like the, the dose that's actually transmitted, or the the energy that's lost as part of transmission, and the dose that's received. And then the, these things dive into some of your kermas yeah. and some of your other different calculations, which is really really cool. But most of it is is pretty similar. Uh, Grays, Sieverts, and and Rem are the three main units. The old classic unit is Rem, and that's because it basically includes all the qualify uh, quality also, factors. If you get a gray of dose, just prepare to meet your maker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's the one. That's the big unit. Uh, what is it? A gray is I think like a thousand Rem or something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. It's it's. <laughs> it's a big uh, unit. I remember that one. That's, the gray is the one where you turn yeah. gray, and then the so, other one. So a, a single gray, happy. a single gray is equal to a hundred rad. Uh, if you get a gray of dose, you're not going to meet your maker. You won't meet your maker at a gray. Okay. Uh, so so you'd actually be surprised when we start talking about dose. You have to get a lot of fucking dose to meet your maker, like a lot of dose. You have to basically eat the plutonium core. <laughs> And sleep next to it every night. So there's dose um, and dose over time, but yeah, let's just assume yeah. that you. Well, I mean, everything is a dose assume rate. That's instantaneous. You you need you need so so we only talk about when we start talking about like biological effects. We only really consider them for acute effects. Uh, we federally regulate them to a year, although that has maximum and minimums in like short time exposures, and that's yeah. really because your body can essentially repair most damage, not all damage. Uh, but most damage. I think I did. Something. So you do the same thing with like uh, airborne particulates, where you have an eight-hour exposure limit, two-hour exposure exactly. limit. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so same kind of thing, and it ties into that. Although particulates are actually more damaging because uh, most well, of them tend to be like. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas <laughs> your rad dose is like an instantaneous energy deposition. But yeah. So, so a gray is only about a hundred rad, and so that is where you will start getting radiation poisoning. So that's where you're going to start throwing up. If you get a gray, you're going to get uh, you're you know, get 100 sick. rem, which is that. The first biological dose is about one-tenth of a gray. Uh, and that's where you're going to start seeing effects from cancer. And we regulate it about half of that. Well, I, just, and that's, I remember that's the limit. saying I remember is gray, um, gray doses get, what was it? It was gray bodies get gray doses. <laughs> that was it. Well, I mean, if you get more than a gray, so... Again, 100, 100 rem or a gray will get you radiation poisoning. Uh, yeah. That's not a place that you want to be. 
you're going to be really sick. It's going to suck. You're going to lose your hair, and you're going to have a whole lot of cancer coming down the pipe. Yeah, you're you're going to have problems forever. Right. At three gray, you start getting major changes in your body chemistry, and And, so your LD, your other 50 hits like major problems quickly. Then, yeah, you you start running into a lot of a, a lot of serious problems. By the time you get to 600 gray, you're or six gray, you're dead. Right, yeah. like you're just dead. There's well, it's a lot of radiation. That's a lot of radiation. That's well, that, that's that's one of the things when when people start talking, and this is uh, I actually that's the ran difference into between this. spilling a liter of acid on your arm and taking a dive into the fucking pool. That's <laughs> pretty much what it talk. Yeah, uh, it it, uh, it requires quite a lot of radiation to actually kill you. It, radiation is pretty safe, at least at the time that we're we're dealing with it as individuals. But yeah, no, it's it's. Six six gray is a lot of lot of dose. We're we're talking. You, you have uh, to be licking the 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 the, the cobalt sixty source, let's, or let's, you're let's you know in, the, uh, in the presence of like the, the elephant's glow. foot or some shit. You like will that. you will you will notice your you will get some. Uh, I think at um you'll you'll notice the uh, the the radi- you'll notice the uh, the app that sorry the the shock wave of uh of a few uh, particles slowing down. Yeah, you'll uh, you'll so so if you go into uh, that that is well above, actually. So so I think it's like fifteen rem or something like that is what. Uh, hold on, let me actually pull up the 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 old style of dose measurement used to be when your skin turns red, when right. you get a physical burn from radiation. Yeah, yeah you're going to feel it. <laughs> that was literally. That was. Yeah, so uh, so that used to be uh, like sunburn for everybody out there who's wondering. Gee, are these things yes. related? Yes, they yeah. are. It, it is. It, it by the time you start talking about anything above a, uh, a in the UV spectrum and above, it it all has similar impacts. Although the depth at which it penetrates is very different, so you totally. can get a lot of UV stuff and it'll damage your your uh, your lo- your your tissue there, but it's not going to really have a. It'll have so. skin cancer effect simply because it's not a high enough energy particle to penetrate into your system to cause yeah. long-term cancer damage and like, you know, lymphoma. Just think like higher energy particles is uh, like the sunburn, but you know, deeper into your body. Right. Cooking all of your meat. Yeah. That's yeah. It would. Yeah. Well, that's that's right. It's if you like, it's the, uh, the, the higher your energy, the farther it penetrates. So, so the, the the higher the energy, the faster it's moving, and the faster it's moving, the less likely it is to yeah. interact with something. Well, like, that's like your gamma rays is is what this is coming down to. Yep. Beta, yeah. Well, they, beta you, and you, alpha are not as likely to go through. Like beta can go in a little bit, but usually no further than the keratin layer. So, so actually, you'd be surprised. Like beta doesn't go that far unless nope. it's a really high energy beta. Yeah. So actually, um, you know, the, there's a guy on YouTube I I like to watch on occasion, um, the Thought Emporium. And he actually made his own, um, his own, uh, what the hell is it called? The, the vapor chamber. Um, you know, they put the isopropyl in there and really cold and, uh, you get the, the little lines and shit. Mm-hmm. So he made his own and he was looking, he had, I think he had a beta source and he was discussing the, um, the energies and the depth relationship. And I was actually surprised with the, the energies he was talking about. Like, yeah, it will actually sometimes go through definitely your skin. Um, it, it you know, not can. very often, but like you know, if you're like right next to the source, there, shit can happen. Well, so so what ends up happening me. is, and and this is actually really cool. Your charged particles, your alphas and your betas, they don't have a lot of penetration power because they basically collide with the electron cloud. 
and resolve themselves very quickly. The same so reason beta, your hand doesn't go through a table. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, so your alphas and your betas really aren't that bad. Now, that being said, um, the nice part about the the charged particles is that you know pretty pretty accurately within you know a few microns kind of thing where they're actually going to deposit. And right. based on the energy that you project them into something, you can actually do deposition. Uh, all of that energy at a specific location, and that's the most uh, the the most recent developments in so medical told, therapy. I think I told Evan about this too. That's actually used currently yes. in semiconductors to make really thin wafers. That's how they manage to get uh, thinner wafers. They they mount them on another substrate, mind you, but they use a uh, a proton beam. To do, um, I, don't, I don't think they use proton beams. Actually, I, think it's pro I thought it was proton. Anyway, but they use a beam of particles. No, so, so we have uh, right where I'm at. We're at um, we're kind of like the mini nexus of of wafer development. They're still they're still doing it with photons, right? You know but what? the the problem that they're having is that they they're they're working on they're like seven nanometer scale, and yeah. that's the wavelength of light that you have. Well, I'm not talking problem... about like any of them any of the microlithography. I'm just talking about wafer generation. Alpha, alpha oh. Oh, that may be true. Yeah, they they do. They put true. a particle beam facing the bool of the uh, of silicon, and then they they just. So the cool thing is that because it causes the change in the density of the crystal, it shears clean off and maintains the um the the face alignment. That was the big thing. I wish I could actually take some of this. So I got my lecture open here for my radiation stuff. What people used to do for like with radiation control is absolutely stunning. They lived. Very short, happy lives. <laughs> hey, hey. You know, Very money, short, happy lives. Money does not buy you happiness, but it can rent it. It 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 certainly can. I mean, like, so so you see, um, the old cartoon used to be somebody walks through like an airport scanner and sees uh -huh. an X-ray of themselves. That was actually something that was done for a long time, where they would have a they would have an X-ray generator, yeah. right? And you'd stand in front of this thing, and, and then you'd, you'd have blasted. a phosphorus uh, phosphorus film behind you, and the doctor yeah. would just stand behind the phosphorus film, so all y'all got all that dose just yeah. straight on through the system. Oh, good times! No, that was that was amazing times. So it was it was, uh, it was amazing times. I uh, told us I would love to see it, was. although. Although I, I, my hands would be covering my balls on like both of them, <laughs> and I would still know it has no effect. Yeah, I would. I would be worried, wary of a warm, tingly feeling. I would. Yeah, you won't feel a warm, tingly so, feeling. You'll just be like, ah, I feel a little bit Evan, nauseous today. You I mentioned cigarettes. I think. Oh yeah, and nine yes, out of ten. Uh, right nine now, out of like ten uranium, doctors recommend Winston. Uranium concentration in the tissue of the plant was, I believe, the, the reason for that. And uh, that's actually one of the uh, main issues in the phosphate industry in Florida, because uh, the the phosphate that's dug up when they they so calcium phosphate's dug up, they process it with sulfuric acid. They get all this calcium sulfate, which is typically what's used in drywall in your houses too, but they can't use it for that because it's got uranium in it and enough of it to actually make the uh, what they call sulfate stacks radioactive, like hot enough to not put a worker in your room. Oh wow. Like not not hot enough to be like a major hazard. You can just kind of leave them there, but hot enough where you can't have workers routinely working with them because they'll, they'll exceed the exposure limits. Huh. Oh, it's wild. just and it's it's largely due to the fact that there's so much of this stuff processed. It's not like it's a concentrated little little area. It's just these giant ass stacks of uh, they give you know, like a, a two or three story tall stack of drywall is about the size of it. 
Huh. And they're just radioactive with uranium. Oh, that's wild. And uranium's uranium's actually not that bad in terms of like it's it's we have tighter limits on that for contamination. But... Well, it's it's worse than the transition metal chemistry for the uh, for like U two thirty eight. Well, I mean, do you, we don't really differentiate uh, with transition chemistry U two thirty eight and U two thirty five. Well, no, they're they're, they're similar, but the problem is that it lasts for longer and gets incorporated into more things in your body. Oh, that's 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 true. Yeah, uh, the the actual like the, the main. You know. If we're talking about like elements of concern, plutonium is really nasty stuff. Yeah. Right, that's the stuff. If you want to talk about how do I sit there and get lymphoma, or not lymphoma, <laughs> what's what's the one where where all your white blood cells are cancerous? Leukemia. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. If you want leukemia, you want to eat the plutonium rod. Or that, or, <laughs> or that, or strontium ninety, or iodine one thirty one, or whatever it is. Or americium. Or americium, I'll actually do yeah, it. So if you uh, yeah. if you want to go take apart your uh, smoke detector, you'll find a little thing of about ten microcuries of americium. So yeah. just smash that and inhale it, and you can get the sympathy of all of your siblings. I mean, it won't last very long. It won't um, last very long at all. I mean, the sympathy might last a little while, but you're not going to notice it because you'll be dead. Yes. Well, not not quite. It'll be a long, painful procedure of right. probably two to three years with lots of well, chemo. And... But in the, in the context of the sympathy, which might last about three and a half years, let's be real here. You're not going to get all of it. No, you no. You might not want to mention having done that, of course. <laughs> You know, if you do want the sympathy, hey, I, I, I am, I am, I, I, I believe very firmly in natural selection, and I am okay with people eliminating themselves as competitors to the gene pool. I, I see nothing wrong with it. Oh no, I'm just saying, if you want to you know, uh, still get the sympathy angle, you should probably not mention. You know, you did it. For the yeah, sympathy. yeah, no. If you're gonna go huff the americium 241 in your smoke detector, do not tell people that you huff the americium 241. That's generally a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of killing the whole vibe that way. Right, right. Like, I intentionally yeah, don't, don't harsh their mellow. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You don't want to ruin the, the ambiance. So I linked up another oh, article man. here that uh, I think the both of you will be interested in. It's a new uh, fabrication uh -huh. method for... Asymmetric metals separated by gaps in the nanometer length scale, okay? Uh -huh. Fabricated using high-end patterning techniques. Okay, you know, so you, you say that, you say that, and it's like... Oh, whatever. This is so something that I did yesterday. Right. And all, half of the people here are going to read this and be like, and they're going to get like a little tech boner. Like, I kind of, I kind of feel bad for the people well, that are, like cool because aren't engineers. Diodes are important, but like, there's just shocky diodes. Yeah, it's it's, it's <laughs> but, a little thing. It's like, feel, um... don't you don't you feel at least a little bit bad that there's all these people who are going to think this is really cool, and you're like, yeah, whatever. Oh, I mean, it that, is, though. but it's just, <laughs> just a little thing. It's like somebody thing. came up with a new flavor of salt and a faster, easier way to make it. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Let's say Donald Trump in the middle of a bunch of Democrats. Okay, fair enough. That certainly is a <laughs> way to create a fair degree of salt. That's a lot of salt. Uh, yeah, you know, and then so. just wait for the global warming to happen so you can oh, get all the water leaves. Oh, I have I have a dog problem right now. Uh, I remember the day when New York sunk under the waves. I cried that day. Just it was as Al Gore described it: the waves yeah. just crashed Back over, and the city was just uh, yeah. And the dog, he agrees. He agrees. He's, he's he, he does. All he does agree. He is in New York. This city is the three and a half and years of sympathy you're gonna get right here. 
Yeah. It's it's it, you know, he uh, I apparently have not cuddled with him enough today, so he is going to force himself into my lap and cry at you guys through the mic. Yeah. And I am so sorry, but he is absolutely apparently determined. He requires you know, adequate I cuddles. The door. You have to I locked the door to prevent the niece from getting in. So 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 like, that works, I, by the way. I I used to have a door, so so my my desk, my office is in my laundry room. Yeah. Um, and I used to have a door there, and then I took it out, thinking that it would be nice to have an open air, you know, segment to the house. And I didn't realize that a the cats would constantly harass me, and b fifty five pounds of dog would throw itself at me and cry. I have a solution. And I should have anticipated that. But after having had a door, it wasn't a problem. And then I took the door out. Well, see, I have a solution for you. A segmented door. I've thought about putting in a barn door, so so I... Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I will say that... And that way that you've I, got a I, shelf where, you know, the wife can come and give you, like, dinner. And you can, you know, try and be presentable like a regular human being. <laughs> It's if if I was to be presentable, it'd be better to just seal me behind a solid wall. Well, I, uh, okay, halfway <laughs> presentable. Uh, you My know, I, so 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 it was uh it was actually like I would have actually reinstalled the door a little while ago, but I um. I, I redesigned my entire laundry room, and this is one of the downsides to engineering: is we have a tendency to accept very tight tolerances without thinking of the consequences of tight tolerances. And yeah, I did there. that, and so unfortunately, what I ended up doing was I tolerated out the door frame because yep. my desk is Got equal it. in length to the door frame. It wasn't that bad. I probably would have been able to get it, except I didn't account for the fact that there is a uh, what is that the uh, the little side piece that's on the floor there that spaces out an inch and a half, and I didn't account for that in the desk floor plan. So well, it's an inch, a, a, an inch and a half away, an inch or so away from the wall, and that projects it far enough into the door frame that I can't reinstall a door, which makes me very sad. A standard door, sir. You are an engineer. So I got a point. I, well, I've thought as, about I've thought about putting in a barn here. door. A barn door on the exterior yeah. is a thought. But I've also, uh, you know, I also have cats, and this is where their litter box is. I've packed like quite the amount of stuff into my laundry room. It's like an eight by nine room. And the entire laundry room, plus my office, plus the cat litter box is here. I am very proud of how much I Tetris the space out. And unfortunately, the cats will protest if I cut them off from their litter box. And that protest will be them taking a crap in my laundry basket. Oh, so you need a half definitely. Yeah. So I got to point this out as a juvenile looking at this article. One of the... Uh... One of the places this was done at was the King Abdul University of Science and Technology. <laughs> really? The acronym is the acronym is COST. Uh, so this research was done at cost. At cost. <laughs> well, I'll see myself out now. Fair enough. Fair enough. You you should do that. Just just keep on walking. Oh. Oh, what is this? This is two hours of us talking. That's what this is. <laughs> no, but uh, to go into what this thing actually is, it's just a, a high-end component that's very common and just an easier, faster method of production. So Zener diodes, or sorry, not Zener, this is Shockey diodes, not even Zener diodes. So 
Zener diodes are diodes that have a breakdown voltage in reverse, so they can go both ways. Shocky diodes are just diodes that go one direction. Kind of like your mom. Well, yeah, if she swung both <laughs> ways, then I might not be here. Uh... So, <laughs> so, escaping my genealogy here, buddy. <sighs> I am my okay, so they say they say asymmetric metals, blah, blah, blah. That's okay. And then, you know, gap in a nanometer length scale, okay. But, okay, they, they basically they use this really nifty patterning technique. Uh, so they use electron beam lithography, which, again, common thing. Uh, but they used it on the, on this uh, uh, bimetal system, and they used the um, asymmetric uh, setup. So basically the cool thing here is that you can do this electron beam lithography through two metal sheets and get things that are not the same shape vertically. You know, the you can penetrate one sheet differently than the other, I guess is what they're they're boasting about in this. Yeah, which is really cool. It looks like they've got a lot of uh, precision in that as well. Yeah. And well, if I they're mean, doing it, that nanometer scale, that's also that's really good. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah again, it's, uh, this 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 goes back to like the, the same stuff that we kind of were talking about a little bit before with yeah. rad protection and alpha particles and beta particles right. and all the other stuff. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of cool, but a lot of these techniques are actually pretty well known at this point. Yeah. So all they're really doing is basically applying uh, conventional technology to fabricate um, older conventional technology. So the really interesting, so the, the really interesting part about this is that they have such tight control so if we can think of when we talk about like uh, the energies of things and we talk about having good control on them, what I mean is it, it looks kind of like a Gaussian, like a normal distribution, like a bell curve for wherever you're going to put this energy inside of a sample. Um, so the, the depth at which the energy is going to penetrate into the material is where, so we say the, the location of that depth is going to be like the peak of the bell curve. And the width of that bell curve is kind of the precision that you can, you can make that, that cut. Uh, or the uh, that deposition of energy. So the fact that they have such tight control on the beam energy that they can get like sub nanometer or nanometer precision. Oh, I guess just nanometer precision. Just nanometer. Yeah. Well, so oh. the foil is really thin. Is the thing they have like a nanometer gap in the foils. But I mean, but I mean, but at they, the same time, that's, right? That's like a very narrow distribution of energies that they had to achieve, which is present. It, that's that's pretty again though that's that's pretty standard yeah. right when we start talking about firing charged particles at a target yeah. we can tune exactly how far they're going to collide in that target uh so, with a very small series of equations it's not uh yeah. it's well, it, so they aren't the really that, things, that difficult to do it's the inner it's the engineering aspect of things that really come in here where you have to make sure that your your input signal is very clean and then remove as many uh, many other um other factors as possible so for instance Air motion, very obvious one, uh, or having air present at all. Yeah, that that's probably. Uh, I mean, it, you could actually. The, so, uh, so all you'd have to do is more important, I think, probably. All all you'll end up having to do with air, right? Though, so so this yeah. comes back to the the charged particle accelerator. All you're going to end up having to do with air is just uh, a account for that that mu. Yeah. Sorry. I, it's a material attenuation coefficient, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so all they're going to have to do is basically account for that. It, it's really not that hard, especially with charged particles and particle accelerators. We can literally fine tune this, and whether it's whether it's protons well, or electrons, you know what I mean. Like a we can fine tune this. By, 
like a person walking by the device, shit like that. If we're talking, I, so we're talking this level of precision, they're probably putting it under vacuum anyway. Uh, well, they're probably putting it under vacuum, but that's for other reasons, yeah. right? Like I, I could, uh, you know, reasonably speaking, you could probably set this up so that it fired across a room, but obviously we're not going to do that. Well, it's going to um, require more energy, more precision, and more, it's, yeah, it's going to be easier in a vacuum. Keep in mind, we're yes. talking about an electron beam here. We're not talking about uh, electric discharge. So you don't need, like, you know, kilovolts of potential outside the device holding no. a specific, you know, a, an over, overcoming a specific um, uh, band gap inside of an air insulator. We're talking about a particle beam where it's already gone through an electric potential, and it's going through the symmetric side of it on the other side of the beam aperture. Right. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be very narrow. It's already going to have its path laid in, yeah. and all we have to deal with it, you're again we're like probably going to have we're probably going to have this under vacuum, and they're probably going to have this under vacuum because anything they do with nanoscale stuff is always under vacuum. Uh, but that actually has more to do with dust control than it does for yeah. uh, like air control. So I had buddies that uh, that worked, so they were like a year or two ahead of me. In uh, in grad school, they worked in uh, another guy's lab who did uh, catalysis stuff, and so they're always, you know, they're always doing the oxide hydride uh, flip to check out how it's reacting and so on. Yep. Just just so basically coating the um, using a vacuum and heat to drive everything off of the catalyst, letting in enough oxygen to cover the surface in oxide, and then letting in enough hydrogen to cover the surface in hydrogen after it gets rid of all the oxygen. So oxide hydride flip, and you're just checking to see like what the reactivity is for different species of hydrocarbons at that point. So that that was that's all done under vacuum, and basically, if any dust gets in there, uh, your data is gone. Oh yeah, completely yep. contaminated. So in the same way, if any dust gets into a process like this, typically, your product is gone. So so right so. down the uh, the road from my house, we have global foundries, and that is. Uh... Anybody who knows microprocessors, that's where most of your chips are made. Uh, and uh, that that is all clean room stuff. I have uh, I have a lot of friends who actually worked in that, who worked on those processes. And those clean rooms are managed to an absolute impressive degree. Uh, and the machines that they have are like two or three million dollar machines. Yeah. And that's to, you know, if you get any amount of dust in there... It'll plug it, and it's like a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of repairs that have to be done. It's yeah. crazy. Levels of precision that are really incalculable to a, a regular person's mind. Like you, you would have to. Yep. Get, you would have to understand higher levels of math to understand just how precise some of these machines can be, and have to be necessary. Unless you're a climate scientist. Well, yeah, then you can, you know, just kind of wing it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. What's the sig thing? We don't need error bars on the fucking plot. Error bars use a model. Use a model. Error bars. Error bars don't matter. Error bars don't matter, right? Because we 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 have a general. All of our models agree. All of our models agree that something's going to happen. It doesn't matter what the real data says. All matter what they agree with, besides them, besides each other, right? That's exactly right. They don't agree with reality, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I reality. We we just need to augment our uh, our our temperature sensors. We're wrong. It's I think right. I even mentioned it before in a different episode, but I felt bad for my friend who was dealing with some of those climate evangelists on Twitter. 
all he wanted to know was why they don't why they don't report things in the absolute temperature. Why is it always a difference in temperature from a reference point? And, it's, it's, and the, the answer is because it's easier to talk about it. That's basically what it is. Um, you know, you could, you well, could yeah. do it. You could do it with uh, with with uh, absolute temperatures, but you know they don't really mean a temperature you're going to experience so, outside anyway. So he's like, "Why is it always a difference?" Like, well, because because it's more convenient. But so, other people just like jumping in. It's like, well, you know, why don't you believe in climate science? It's like, fucking so, hell. So 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 the for for folks who don't understand what Craig just said, uh, the difference between absolute temperature and uh what they use which is which is known as temperature anomalies they 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 already describe it as it, like it's already baked into the cake that what you're observing is is something different from absolute temperature is that if you put it on an absolute uh, on an actual temperature scale it would be like plus or minus you know tenths of a degree in a scale that's got 200 some odd points it would basically look like a straight line or or well, well like when, we, when i say when i say absolute here as a layperson he was speaking he, he he meant like you know why isn't this like in fahrenheit or degrees c right like just just the way that you'd experience it on a fucking thermometer instead of right instead of anomalous behavior from some point in time so so what they do is yeah. they take an average of 30 years and they subtract that from the data and then they plot that, and so it looks like there's this crazy high peak, which they actually adjust the x and their y axis to scale however they want that peak to be presented, which is a whole separate issue. Well, in a, in, a, in a paper, you're trying to emphasize a point you've made in text. Yes. In a newspaper, you're trying to be a dick. <laughs> oh yeah, almost without fail. Especially that's, today. That's actually probably the best phrasing I've ever I've ever heard. <laughs> Of that of that problem, but basically what they do is the anomalies are they take an average of thirty years, they subtract that from the temperatures, so it looks like they have a zero point, and then they can establish a trend line across that zero point. And uh, if, if clarify, anybody that's, who that's anybody who's listening, right, if you, you uh, want to actually understand why this same. pisses off folks like Craig and I, go get the book How to Lie with Statistics. Because how to lie with statistics literally talks about this example where they basically subtract out the baseline, and and that's what they end up doing. And so it well, looks like there's this like a stock this, market where you can go, you can look at it, and you see these wild fluctuations in the news. But everyone who's reading stocks already knows from their context that they've taken away like the previous day's yes. value. Yes. This is pretty pretty similar to what's going on here, except that if you're a layperson looking at the stocks page, you go, "Well, what the fuck happened? Yeah, uh, the stock market just crashed." Or, "Holy shit, I should check my 401k and see if I can cash out." Right, no, but in, don't do in, it. in reality, it's minor changes, unless of course you do something like me, where I play triple leverage stocks. There you go. Yeah, that doesn't sound love like those percentages. Plan. Although I'm 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 currently under, which really pisses me off. Somehow stocks keep going up, and I don't see any economic reason for them to do so. Well, that's because they're stocks. They're not Fraction economics. Magic. Well, so so stocks and economics always have a a a general association. It's not exact. That's uh -huh. absolutely true. So I expect a correction, and I bet right. on the correction. And the correction hasn't happened, and I don't right. understand why. And it's been like two weeks now. Because the lockdowns themselves haven't ended. 
There's nothing. There's no time for the bubble to burst because there's no revenue being generated outside. Well, see, so that's that's part of the thing, right? So I'm expecting. Yeah. I'm in. Uh, I'm in. I'm in the inverse of oil right now, and the inverse of biotech. And oddly enough, the inverse of biotech is actually not doing as badly as the inverse of oil. Oil prices are just like off the friggin' chart. And I don't yeah. understand why, because nobody's traveling. <laughs> and you're like, so where's the demand? They went through the floor before, and the um, the speculators, which control the demand in the market, basically almost cut themselves out, pushing oil at people and paying them to take it. Yeah, that that's, really that's why kinda, the oil price went under. All, all, of, that's, all of that's true, that. right? But I'm, you know, I'm so only, now it's a recovery period when the demand is low. They're pulling I, in. I only deal with these things on like a week or two week basis, typically. Uh -huh. So, so when I'm sitting there and I'm talking about the reference point, my reference point is like two weeks ago. So yeah. when Pfizer released their, oh my God, we have a vaccine coming, right? Uh, Everything shot up. I sold out of everything that I was, I was, uh, you know, betting on the long-term prospects right. of. I was very happy with that choice, and I went into things that I, I expected to correct. I expected to correct hard too. Right. So oil is one of those things I expect to correct, and the reason I expect to correct is because there is literally nothing different today than there was two weeks ago. Yeah, when we is. start talking about the vaccines, the vaccines are like twenty million for next year total. <laughs> For yeah, the world. Here's, here's what you forgot, though. It was just Thanksgiving, and soon it's going to be Christmas. Yeah. I don't give so, a shit if it's not the right, if it's not enough volume to justify the price. It's certainly enough activity to justify the price. That that's a possibility, but it's, I actually it's, it's a bullshit post hoc rationalization. But I I I'm still think I still think I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you, right? So I thought about that. Sure. I thought about that. I think that it's still going to collapse after yeah. Thanksgiving. Because yeah, right now now Andrew Kolmler has his week to declare why it is that nobody should travel to and from New York. I love that that's sticking. Oh, not only that, I mean, have you heard there's oh, a yeah. huge I mean, lockdown going in uh, LA County? Yeah, it's a shoot, that's California right. as well. I I, I Craig, you know, you said it, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to use that forever. So no, I've actually used that someone else. There's someone else using that in, uh, for my DM group on Twitter, too. So so, so I, as an individual who lives in New York, mm -hmm. I uh, I preface that conversation with my boss on numerous occasions. Okay. And uh, even at a national lab in New York, <laughs> we, we turn around and everybody's like, Andrew Elf He's like, well, I guess that's really true when you consider we need papers and they targeted the Jews. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you think? Yeah. Now, now soon you'll get your COVID mark so that they'll know where you are. Do me a favor and don't get, don't get on any trains, all right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Definitely. <laughs> they're they're going to tell you that work makes you free. Don't listen. He comes in and says, hey, you've had a long day. Let's go get you a shower. Pay away. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> and don't definitely don't go sleep in any bunks. You know, I uh, I, I oh, luckily I'm 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 Tell above that. Already I, I kind of feel bad for my fellow New Yorkers who are yeah. like all hoping something's going to break their way. God. But it's not. It's not. Y'all are fucking screwed. Not with that guy as far Not with him and de Blasio fucking him over I, twice. I have heard, I have heard, so so I live in a red area, and um, I, I understand that most people don't understand that New York is mostly red. 
It's like five counties that make us blue. You know, it's like and they're really annoying counties. Because that's when... Go ahead. I was going to say, it's like an extreme of Florida. Gainesville is like the liberal star of the South. You know, after that, you, you kind of, ha- you, you're not really in the South anymore, South of like Orlando. But like, but like, if you look at it, it's, imagine all that red shit around Gainesville as being like the rest of New York. And then New York City is like Gainesville. So, so the, the, the difference though, basically the difference, like, though, is that New York knows that yeah. it would have a literal revolution on its hands if it tried to sit there and operate the way Democrats wanted to operate. It's also got so, way more population. So, so there are, there are taxes, right? And then there's the taxes that you pay for New York City and the five boroughs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's almost its own thing. They they are run they are run differently and I'm okay with that I'm okay with that I'm not saying it's good right anybody who wants to sit there and say that Steve said that taxes in New York are too good they're not they're not we are overcharged it is the vampire state and that is just the way it is yeah NYC is a fucking nightmare I could I want never to go there but New York City and the five boroughs, like there's the New York state tax code. And then there's what you have to pay if you live near New York City. <laughs> yeah. So New York City, we'll say pre-COVID at least. New York City is good to visit. It's just I don't know if I ever want to like live in the same I, state, let alone near it. I, I visited New York City, and the only redeeming factor it has is in time, Times Square, there are people, there are girls, reasonably hot girls, that run around with makeup over their tits. And that is the only redeeming factor of New York City. The rest of it is a giant shithole that smells like pee. But there are naked girls with body paint on. And well, that's, you should that's just go to a con thing. then. You'll get both of those. Where? A con. Comic con. or Some kind of thing like that. You'll have women. You but, know, but see, see I, I like the view from comic-con but i don't like the body odor smell and it's the same problem that i have with new york city new york city smells like pee but the view is fantastic well let's put it like this if you know pick like jfk or laguardia if you're going through there and then just go and press your face against the window but make sure you wipe it down first (laughs) and after and after and your own generally just wipe your face too Yeah. yeah maybe shower twice uh it's not if anybody tells you where to go shower because then so, you might not come out. I've been in JFK once. It's a really nice airport. It's a really nice airport. Chicago, I think I, Chicago is I've actually been, one of I've my favorites. I've actually been through JFK and O'Hare, and I like O'Hare better. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I no, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that because O'Hare O'Hare is actually pretty well organized, and you have the mass transit system that directly deposits itself into O'Hare, which is fantastic. Like, Chicago is wonderful. I mean, Chicago is, well, they call it Chirac for a reason. But, I mean, if you're staying in the civilized parts, it, it's not too bad. <laughs> it, it really isn't. So, so like, there's – Chicago is a lovely city. I love Chicago. Um, personally, I prefer Seattle. I, like, if I, if I had to pick my place to reside, it would be the Pacific Northwest. No, you wouldn't. Doesn't just yeah. help you with that one. No, you wouldn't. I, 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 I understand, but if I live in Washington – and I buy my shit in Oregon, I pay no state taxes. That's well, pretty great. My brother lived in, in Seattle for a while, uh, working at a, yeah. a big company out there. And it was nice to visit. I got to say this. Yeah. The boardwalk area. At yeah. The is fucking awesome. 
It is pretty awesome. That's it. I, you know what I actually, so I've been out to the Columbia Riviera Gorge a bunch of times, and that is that is probably my favorite drive. The scenic I'll, area is great, oh, but you have to live with being near Seattle. See, in Washington, that does sound like quite a chore. It's kind of like living in New York, where you have to, I, you get to say, oh, but everything else outside of NYC is great. It. it I don't know. If if I had if I had to pick where I lived in the Pacific Northwest, I would be somewhere on the the Columbia River Gorge. I would probably be on the Washington side because I think it's like no income taxes there and no property taxes there. But then, uh, you know, the sales tax is sky high. And then the Oregon side is where I'd buy stuff from. So so I think it was Vancouver. Uh, but basically, there was a, an Oregon State University. So what people would do for Oregon State University is they would set up their re- residence as a PO box in Oregon, right. because that would give you the in-state tuition. And then they would commute from, I think, Vancouver <laughs> all the way down to Portland, and <laughs> and it was totally worth it because you pay like no taxes, zero state taxes on anything that you do, and that's pretty great. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I will say the Columbia River Gorge of all the areas that I've been in the country is probably my favorite. It is without a doubt the it's it's you're you're in kind of a rainforesty area. The hikes that you do out there are absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, there, there's nothing I, I don't think I'd want to live in Seattle or even in the outskirts of Seattle. But uh, somewhere along that Columbia River Gorge area, I'd be happy with Uh what is it? Uh, Needles, Needles State Park, or whatever it is. That was gorgeous. Oh my god, I would love to live there. You get like the honest, rain that comes really in and backs west, up and I'd like to go at some point once we get national reciprocity. But oh, it is, it is, it is fantastic. Like Evan, if you got a chance, go through the Columbia River Gorge, and they they actually so they got dams all the way up it, which you know they they provide hydropower, which is my second favorite source of power in the united states outside of nuclear and the dams have like fisheries associated with them and a whole bunch of other things they're 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 really great environmental projects that uh, mitigate some of the damage that dams do um the whole, the whole gorge is like like waterfalls and rainforest hikes the whole way down it's amazing so that'll do it for tonight thanks everybody for Checking in. I'm Evan. And I'm Steve. And we got one more. I'm here. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) Catch you all soon.